0: Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. You can find us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod and on Facebook as well. Uh, Let's do us all a big favor here and head on over to the Thundercast YouTube channel as we try to get as many subscribers over there as we can so that we uh, will be ready to or you guys will be ready to roll when we start rolling out video podcasts and more video content. The links to all that will be in the description below. Um, It was a... Uh, melancholy week in herd athletics. Uh, and we're going to get into all that. We're going to revisit the game up in Bowling Green, Ohio, and we're going to look forward to Marshall's first ever Sunbelt opener, a game against Troy down in Troy, Alabama, this coming weekend. But before we get into all that, let's get a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been injured in a car wreck, Visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. What happens when an Ohio driver crashes into a West Virginia driver in Kentucky? That can be a mess. But if you can dream it up, Jason and Matt have probably been there, done that, and gotten their clients paid. Don't fight the insurance companies alone. Contact Jason and Matt at 304carwreck.com. Russ, it was a rough road to hoe this week. The fan base uh, came crashing down a good bit after a what can only be described as a disappointing loss up in Bowling Green, Ohio, uh, in a game that the Herds should have basically just taken care of business. There were multiple opportunities to put the game away. They just weren't able to do it. And we'll talk about what went wrong and still what went right in that game. But first, give me five things that every Herd fan needs to know this week.
1: As always, our five things every heard fan needs to know this week are brought to you by IgniteLink, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Got to start off with some of the negative. You know, you said it was a tough week. Let's uh, discuss number one is offensive line coach Eddie Morrissey resigns and leaves the team midseason.
0: Yeah, that's pretty wild. There were some reports out
1: there that this was discussed and known
0: about, at least amongst coaches uh, at Charles Huff in particular way back in the summer so it's not like it was a blindsiding type thing but if you're a fan it was pretty blindsiding you didn't see us coming there were no rumblings about it really and all of a sudden you're thinking well what's the reason and the reason they gave well, they they cited personal reasons and that's good enough for me i don't really need to know the you know the the 5 w's and how right i just it, it happened and we ultimately thought that the herds offensive line would be okay they'd been playing really well Right. They played okay up at uh Bowling Green. I mean, LeBourne still went over 100 yards and and uh, you know, Columbia had a pretty productive day through the air. So they did a pretty good job anyway, but still, it was a shakeup to the uh, to the game week. No matter how much, you know, we all wanted to pretend like it would just be business as usual, it was apparent it was not business as usual. So, uh what are your thoughts on this on this news? Uh, and then I guess, you know, if, if it sparks a little conversation, we'll expand on it, but for right now it's drop back punt and figure out where you want to go. Uh, I have some opinions on what might happen. Some things that I might, if I were in Charles Huff's position, I might explore, but what, what do you think about this?
1: Well, I think the timing is both unfortunate, but also a blessing in the fact that they waited until after the Notre Dame game to do this, uh, Pretty much anyone that is in the know, which I'm not, um, has said that the buyout clause expired around September the first. They waited until after that, so it was mutual between the two the the coach and the team, the university or whatever. So he wouldn't have to get out of his contract, have to pay back you know a lot of money, that sort of thing, and uh, also he. Uh, Uh, agreed to stay on until after the notre dame game so as not to be a distraction there that's just my thoughts yeah um i think so the timing with that was good it's never good to be in the middle of a season uh but i think that it would have been worse had it been during practice uh in the fall leading up to or summer however you want to call that august practice leading up to the season so i think uh I think both sides did a mutual let's walk away in the best way possible. I don't want to speculate on why uh, because uh, at least several different things were cited that this was a personal decision by uh, the coach. I just hope that there's nothing wrong health-wise with him or family or anything like that. Wishing the best of luck. Uh, He did a great job, in my opinion, while he was here. Um, I'm not going to bash anybody for leaving you know, that sort of thing. So I'm uh, I'm okay with it. I do think on my side that you've got Bill Legg right there. He's been there in that position at much bigger places than this, really, uh, you know, as, as offensive line. If I'm not mistaken, he did that at Purdue for a while before taking over offensive uh, coordinating, co-offensive coordinating, whatever he did. Uh, but he knows the offensive line inside and out. Not going to be a a step down in my opinion. Tight ends are right there. You and I discussed this on Saturday uh, pregame. Uh, tight ends and offensive line they do a lot of the same deal. So he's already been there with the tight ends. I'm sure he is familiar with all the offensive linemen on the on the field.
0: If I'm not mistaken, of course, my memory is not a hundred percent of what it used to be. It's really not a hundred percent of what it was. You know, a month ago, but you mentioned that. Uh, coach Leg had been an offensive line coach at other places. If I'm not mistaken, he was offensive line coach here too. He was. Yeah. So it's it's not like first of all, you're not reinventing the wheel because you've got a guy who's a stellar offensive line coach, and then you've got a guy who knows all the guys on our roster now, and probably is coaching them into a to a certain degree anyway. Like we talked about, tight ends and and offensive line is is a big part of the blocking scheme. So you know he, he's probably in on a lot of those individualized drills at that time. And so there's a, there are many ways that, that, you know, coach Huff can reshuffle this staff and fill those vacancies. And, you, you know, immediately you think, okay, you can slide over uh, bill leg into coach offensive lineman. That, that just makes sense. He's done it before he's established. He's got a track record. Um, you know, you could also go somewhere and say, Hey, um, you know, our ROC's dad, is a legendary offensive line coach. And I think he's down there on Rich Rod's staff at mm-hmm. Jacksonville State. And if that's the case, you would like to think from that standpoint, hey, what a great opportunity it would be for me to go coach with my son as an offensive coordinator and probably a little bit of a step up in prestige, you would like to think, and a little bit step up in paycheck, you would like to think. But, you know, I know that Rick Trickett and and, and Rich Rod are probably pretty tight from their days in at West Virginia. But still, it's an interesting – you know, thing that's out there. Um, and you know, tight ends, I mean, do you really have to go any farther than also what's in house? You've got senior analysts there or senior, um, I don't know what you, what what is, uh, technical, technically his, his coaching title is his staff titles, but we're talking about Mike Bartram. I mean, mm-hmm. an all timer at the herd for the herd an NFL tight end. I mean, a guy who's who just obviously knows the position at a, at a really high level and, and, Probably very familiar with all the guys that are on the roster as well. You would think that would be a fairly natural transition. If he wants to go to a full-time assistant coaching role, that's, you know, not a given. Um, And then you can just look also at outside hires or elevating a GA or, 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 you know, whatever, whatever there, there are options there, but I'm with you, you know, coach Morrissey, I wish nothing but the best. Uh, Again, he doesn't owe me any explanations, uh, is it? it's not ideal when these things happen and you, and you have a coaching shuffle in the middle of the season. But you know what? Life always all, doesn't give you the ideal timing on everything either. So um, I'm with you. I hope everything is okay from a personal standpoint. I hope everything is okay from a family standpoint. All I can really do is thank him for all the hard work and uh, blood, sweat, and tears that he gave to this Marshall program and preparing our offensive linemen to go out on Saturdays and perform. And for the most part, they perform at a really, really high level. So, uh, I wish him nothing but the best. I I wish him all the luck in the world. If, if coaching is something he continues to uh, pursue that, I hope he's successful at his next stop. And if, if he's done doing it, then whatever the next chapter is, I wish him nothing but the best there too. But it is something, it is a situation we're going to have to keep our eyes on. Right. What, what does the herd do now?
1: Yeah. So um, I I think that sums up my thoughts on what I want to talk about now. The rest of it would probably fit better in the recap of the Bowling bowling Green game Mm -hmm. about the offensive line, so we'll save that for there. Uh, Number two, demolition has started at the site of the baseball stadium, and also the contractor has been named.
0: Yeah, these are big milestone points. You know, now people can finally – Those that were holding out and chose to be pessimistic (laughs) uh, can finally uh, pipe down a little bit because buildings are getting torn down. You know, there's a there's a name out there that's going to be doing the construction like the clock's ticking now. So now, if it doesn't happen, there's really going to be an issue because we've never been this close before, as far as I know. And now, you know, dirt's moving. Buildings are coming down.
1: Right. well there there's still people and you know how it is on social media and or message boards um there's just it seems like always some negativity and there's still some i'll believe it when i see it why can't they be doing both at the same time uh that sort of thing you know well again it's still september mm-hmm. it has always said this would start in october the ground actually being broken to do the foundation for the baseball stadium. They are only tearing down these two buildings so they can start on time. Uh, this has nothing to do with why are they not doing them both at the same time. It was never planned to do that. You know, mm-hmm. it's not It's not the same contractor. Uh, it, anyone that drives by there can see the logo. It's on my customer's machine, Danny Sullivan excavating is tearing down the building, and as I just mentioned, he just did the church next to the end zone of the stadium. That's what he specializes in, amongst other things, is demo of of buildings and structures, and that's what he's doing over there. The uh, contractor that uh, is doing it is, again, not Danny. It's a totally separate company that will be doing it. It's several established companies that have created a new company that will be working together. And uh, I'm pretty familiar with, with some of these guys as well. And they've got a lot of history here at Marshall and in this area with work that they've done. Um, there is some news that I don't think is out there yet. Um, prices, of course, have gone up. So from the original thing, it looks like the budget is going to be higher. And it might be that this has to be done in phases that you get your facility built, and then things have to be added on to it later. And someone will say, here we go. Mm-hmm. But but when you're talking, I mean, what do you do? Do you just say, well, let's not do it because, you know, things have increased and we can't do, um, you know, 100% of what our vision is for this. Why can't you do 95% of it and add the 5% later? I just really hope no one's going to be negative because any stadium that you get there that allows a team to have a very nice playing surface and fans to sit there and watch, things can come later in a separate project to build onto it that will help baseball, softball, parking, anything that would be there. But just get it built, and that's what's going to happen.
0: I mean, at the end of the day, the nuts and bolts of the project is a stadium, right? Yeah, so as long sure. as that goes up first, yeah. you know, amenities or, or things that would make it a tad bit more user friendly, you just kind of have to be okay with that coming at the, you know, in the tail end of the project. The project is about getting a field built, getting a stadium built, getting a home field on campus site for our guys to go out and compete getting some of those team type amenities for our teams, the, the, the video rooms that, that Corey and Megan talk about, you know, the shared facilities, practice type facilities, so that they can go indoors and do things they need to do. when the weather is not always great in Huntington, West Virginia.
1: Yeah.
0: Those type of things that I don't think they're, you know, I'm, I might be speaking out of school here, but it's not, uh, I don't think those things are going to get cut. (laughs) You know, they, they need those things. So, and also you mentioned we haven't entered into a contract with someone yet, or we had we just have. So in the interim, by the time all this was announced and the time that the ink dries on that con on that contract, well prices can do whatever they want. You're not locked into anything yet. So now it's time to lock in some numbers to a certain degree and there's gonna be names on paper and now things become a little bit more you know, le- little less of a blank check, right? You're like, well, you said you could do it for this, and now we're going to hold you to that. We have that in a in a contract, so you know, it's not like this is a ten million dollar project that's going to turn into a two hundred million dollar project. You know, it's, it doesn't go that way. It, right. It, there's just a there's a process you have to follow, and as much as we as fans want that process expedited, you mentioned it. The goal was always to start breaking ground in October. We're not in mm-hmm. October yet. Yeah. So as much as we want it to happen. Last week it's not scheduled to happen till next month. So yeah. as long as we stay on schedule to to for the most part, then you gotta you just gotta let the process roll. You gotta let it play out.
1: And I would like to remind anyone that is thinking negatively, like I said, that well, they don't have this built at the end of this project or that built. And that was something that was mentioned uh, when the project was announced that you would have X, Y, and Z. Why is Z not finished? I would like to remind anyone that attended those first several games in 1991 at what has become known now as Jonesy Edwards stadium, that the Shoey building was not there. The end zone was not in, you know, there was just dirt there. I remember the first game that I went to in 91, uh, it was still being built, but we got away from, you know, the Fairfield Stadium over to Jonesy now Jones Edwards Stadium. You know, so getting them out of route Two down here to a much nicer uh modern field with great drainage and things like that.
0: Lights. Yeah, lights. <laughs> that's that's all that's
1: that's that's all that matters. Yep, you know it is. Let's let's uh let's worry about getting some of the uh finer things later let's get them a stadium here first if the the prices have have gone up and again we're not talking to 300 million but yeah you know when the budget was set for this it was a drastically different time than the prices of right now i mean you see people complaining about it when they go to the grocery store when they're ordering things uh everyday items are costing uh more than they used to well it's the same with concrete and steel and Yeah. Electrical items, anything that you would need, you know, prices have gone up. Freight has gone up. It's just kind of the nature of the cost of business, man. It's the
0: cost of doing business.
1: But we're going to have. ground broken, things rolling. You can drive almost right by and look over and see it. It's not like you have to drive out of your way here in the next two months, you'll see everything going on over there. And the timeline is still going to be the same. You know, the goal is to start the 2024 season on that field. Anything else you got on the stadium? Well, let's move on over to number three. And men's soccer is now ranked fourth in the country. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about their game that led to this uh, in Around the Herd. But number four, man, number four.
0: I mean, number four, leapfrogging you, the University of Kentucky, who was ahead of the herd yeah. in, in that, uh, that SBC opener. And, uh, you know, the game, of course, we'll, we'll get into it more, but it's, it, we're not spoiling anything to say the yeah. game ended in a tie, and that yeah. tie was enough for the herd to leapfrog the University of Kentucky. So up to number four in the country ahead of a huge game this coming Saturday. It's going to be a really hot ticket. I would imagine. And I'm just going to say this now, and we're going to say it again later. We've got two tickets that we'll be uh, posting a contest tweet up for uh, folks to try to win those two seats to go to the mountain state Derby later this weekend.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that I'm trying to remember the exact dates, but I think that we have been ranked since October 19th. Maybe it was 2020. Uh, I don't, I don't remember the exact dates uh, now or the year, but uh, we have been a mainstay in the top 25 rankings. Mm-hmm. We've we've gone up, we've gone down. At one time, we were ranked number one overall. Um, there are a couple of really good teams ahead of us, but the record of the teams that we have played, the teams that we have played has been tremendous so far this year. Our strength of schedule is so high. Coach Grassi has mentioned several times that this is his deepest, possibly most talented team. Which is saying something because, like, we like to remind everyone we're the 2020 national champions, and uh, we do have some of those players still on the team: Yosef, Simla, Yunus. But bringing in Matthew Bell, who has just been a kid. He's a phenom. yeah, and you know all the different uh, players that that we have that are contributing, playing at such a high level. This is looking like a very special season is shaping up. And I know it's extremely early. Um, a lot can happen between now and then. And we're not going to have it easy in the Sunbelt Conference because it's easily the number two that might be pushing for the number one conference in the country. The way several of the teams are playing. Yeah. So number four overall. Man, you got to talk about it. So yeah, you got to talk about
0: it. Hell yeah, top four in the country, <laughs> and and you know standing to probably make a little bit of noise this weekend against a very good West Virginia University team. If you'll remember way back when uh, when preseason rankings came out, I think they were ahead of the herd in the preseason yeah. rankings. So it's they're not like a bottom feeding team. This is a very competitive Mountaineer men's soccer team. It'll be a tough test for the herd, but uh, you know we we do field the better team. Uh, In my opinion, the rankings don't just say that. I think the eye test says that when you knock off number two, then number two pit, you go to distance with, uh, I don't remember what they were, number seven at the time, Kentucky. They were number
1: six. We were number seven. Okay. Number
0: six at the time, Kentucky. And so you're battle tested. And you mentioned that you're one errant goal away or one lucky shot away from being undefeated in a weird game that, that, you know, never was right from the get go. Um, but I think, you know, the herd is in the midst of something special here, and, and West Virginia U is just the next hurdle uh, in the way.
1: Have to agree. Have to agree. Number four on our list is men's basketball releases their full schedule, and I want to say finally releases their <laughs> full schedule uh, because the out-of-conference has not been released for a long time while we've known the conference schedule for what seems like two months now.
0: Yeah, and i've got to say it's in it's underwhelming in 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 all fairness the, sure. the the out of conference slate is pretty underwhelming uh there i guess the biggest marquee type games would be you know you get a trip or you get a game with historic rival ohio university in huntington you get more head state to come to huntington but it's it's not I mean, there's no, there's no marquee like opponent. There's no marquee away game opponent or anybody coming to the cam that makes you go, yes, I've got to, I've got to get there. It's kind of riddled with a lot of Mac schools and, and um, you know, just more localized smaller schools from Tennessee and, and things like that. So uh, a little bit unfortunate for, you know the out of conference slate it's always nice to have the opportunity to go somewhere and shock somebody you know that's that's hoping to make some noise this year, but you know it I don't think anything about this uh out of conference slate looks at it stares me in the face and goes by the time the s b c season rolls around this this team will be battle tested i don't I don't get that vibe you know no. there's, there's probably some games they'll get tripped up and they'll get tested. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like the herd should roll through the non-conference by 30, you know, every game, but you know, there's not an opportunity to go to like a Purdue or an Indiana or University of Kentucky or a Louisville or a marquee, you know, regional team and make some noise. They're they're lacking that this year, and that that just kind of sucks.
1: Yeah, and I I hope that it doesn't turn into a situation with uh, attendance at home where people will say, well, I don't want to go because it's Coppin State in that invitational tournament that that we're part of. Um, I, I hope that people will still turn out and support the team, even though they don't have a marquee opponent out of conference, really, that's coming here. Obviously, you mentioned that Ohio's coming here I feel like they're going to bring quite a few fans yeah and um, we are going to Miami of Ohio and that's a good drive you know for a lot of local basketball fans it's not too far uh, Morehead is coming here instead of us being at Moorhead um, but it's a pretty pedestrian schedule yeah. the only the only thing is I hope that one, we don't play down to the level too often of some of the people that are coming in, like a Glenville State, like, you know, Coppin State, Chicago State. And again, I don't know anything about these teams. They might be this year the uh, front runner in their division that they're in. I don't, and we'll delve into that when it gets a little bit closer to basketball season. Because a lot of things are going to change point now in November. Um, but I really hope that our young people that we have you know some of the freshmen that are expected to come in and play that they'll get some time to come in get a lot of reps and by the time we hit Appalachian State for our Sun Belt opener that we will have some experience under our belts that's the only good thing that I'm looking at really here because again nothing jumps off the paper as that wow that's must attend
0: yeah, and and like I said, most of those marquee-type games in, in recent years have been away games anyway. Sure. But they're games that you can point back to when things start to get, you know, they start splitting hairs at the end of the basketball season. Who's in of this tournament? Who's out of that tournament? And seating, and all this kind of stuff. Those are the types of games that kind of carry a little weight, and Marshall doesn't have any of those on the non-con, so they're just going to have to roll through everybody that they can in order to just put impressive win after impressive win on the resume. Yeah. Uh, but I'm with you. I mean, turn out to support the herd, right? We, we, I yeah. say this in football, and I mean it in basketball, too. I go to watch the herd play. I don't go to watch who they're playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, really, really talented guys that are going to be making their, you know, final go around with the herd. And uh, they deserve to have a packed house, by and large, over the last pff, close to 10 years. Well, I don't know, 10 years, however many years it is um marshall's average really good home crowds they've become a real home court advantage in the you know former conference usa era and we need that to carry on into the sunbelt era Uh, the sunbelt for by and large is not a conference that's thought of as a basketball power conference so that is an opportunity for marshall to come in and make some noise old dominion's coming along james madison's coming along you know old dominion puts a great team on the court year in and year out. They will compete immediately, I would imagine, for the Sunbelt Conference title. And uh, Marshall's had trouble getting past them, you know, the majority of the time in the Conference USA era. So this is a good opportunity to kind of elevate and and take hold of a marquee sport in a new conference. And you need everybody in the seat in order to create a true home court advantage to do that. So uh, schedule notwithstanding – just get to the get to the camp, you know, get to the camp. We mentioned before, I don't know if we mentioned on a show before, but I think we did. Uh, we'll have season tickets to all the men's basketball home games that we'll be giving away as well. So, you know, the Thundercast is doing its part to get two more butts in the seats at every home game. So uh, just like we do with football tickets and soccer tickets, um, all you'll have to do is make sure you're following us on social media and pay attention when we put a contest tweet out and give it a retweet, you'll have an opportunity to win tickets to the game. It's that simple. I mean, we just want people in the stadium, in the, in the, in the court, or in the court, in the cam, in the Joan. They won't let you in the court. I know. Well, you won't be there long. (laughs) (laughs) But we just want people in the, in the cam, at the Joan and at the vet. And we're doing our part to to do that. So be on the lookout for a uh, ticket contest tweets, you know, as the season opens.
1: Yep. And finally, number five, kickoff has been changed to 3 30 PM for the October 1st Gardner web football game. I say changed ESPN always announces 12 days out, uh, what the kickoff times will be. And this is going to be on ESPN plus, but over the past two weeks, they have had it on Herd Zone listed at 7 p.m. I know that I had been trying to arrange, you know, some people coming in from out of town, tell them when the kickoff was, making plans, that sort of thing. Our sponsor for the tailgate. Been coordinating all this with them, and then yesterday it got changed to 3.30. So mm-hmm. everybody just needs to be on the lookout for that.
0: Yeah, that's something that's uh, kind of new to us, I guess. You know, we're not used to every game potentially having a flexible time. But what this tells me is more than likely we're not going to see any night games, you know, for the herd, any seven o'clock kicks. Because after, you know, you start getting into the middle end of October, it starts getting a little cold for a 7 p.m. kickoff and you want to preserve a little daylight. So usually we see those 7 p.m. kickoffs for like the opener or maybe the second home game. But once you start getting into October, it gets a little chilly for a 7 p.m. kickoff.
1: Well, I have it on good authority that we'll have one, and it'll be on Wednesday, October the twelfth, because they're not going to do that one during the day. Yes, but that's
0: not a Saturday. That's an <laughs> extenuating circumstance, and unfortunately, there probably won't be a lot of people traveling in for a Wednesday evening game. That's the double-edged sword. That is the Sun Belt. A little bit of extra national exposure, but at the um, at the expense of your, you know, traveling. Fan base, mm-hmm. your out of town fan base. But as far as Saturday, let me qualify as far as Saturday games go, it's going to be pretty tough to have 7 p.m. kickoffs and, you know, for homecoming against Coastal. That'll be a pretty chilly game. But hey, they're beach chickens. We'll take them in the cold if they want to come play in the cold. I think that's an advantage for the Hurt.
1: Yeah, I'll take it. And uh, that wraps everything up. We'll have more about that game next week, obviously. And we will also discuss uh, the tailgating situation for the sponsor that will be for that, but we'll save that for next week. That wraps up everything for the five things every herd fan needs to know this week. And as always, it's brought to you by Ignite Link.
0: Well, let's talk about a trip to Bowling Green, Ohio. I saw the herd heavily favored to travel up to play the Falcons uh, who was trying to, Get one in the left-hand column. They, uh, we really didn't have much respect for them as a as a team going into that game. And I say we, as in you and I, we were we were heavily in favor of the herd winning this one, pretty much going away. And uh, the herd fell thirty-four to thirty-one in overtime, dropping the herd to two and one on this young season. If I wanted to put a positive spin on this after that line, I will say. Well, I bet we all had the herd two and one after three games of the season. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't think anyone had us uh, in this breakdown. I don't believe anyone thought, oh, yeah, we'll beat Notre Dame and then turn right around to lose to Bowling Green. Uh, this was just one of those games where it seemed like I'm not making excuses. You know, I'm just, this is conscious ob- observations because we lost. We lost the game. You, you know, I can't just sit here and say, "Oh, it was taken from us," or, or you know, the refs were against us, or it was none of that. We just didn't make enough plays to get a win. Period. Uh, th- that said, there were some things that you could tell this wasn't just going to be the herd's day. It was those little things that, if they can go wrong, they will go wrong. Murphy's Law followed the herd from Huntington up to Bowling Green, and stuck around. Well, I guess I guess it was late to the party. The first two and a half minutes, Murphy didn't make it into the stadium, but after that, he showed up and sat down and and you know, kind of, I don't know, befuddled the herd for the remainder of the game. Um, but if you're, you know, I got to say this as well, and I want you to chime in here before we start talking about the game. Post game social media was pretty funny because uh, there were so many people. That you can tell either a are just trying to say things to get a reaction, or b just don't really think about what they put out there. Because there were so many people that were like, "Well, the season's over, hang it up. Well, we're done." Or worst loss in martial history, which to me is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> really, a game against Bowling Green that's non-inconsequential to anything other than you know you want to get a win is the worst in history. So um, social media is what it is. People can say whatever they want to say. My policy is it's best just to not engage those folks because most of the time that's what they're after. They're after – they want to argue with somebody, so don't be the guy they get to argue with. Uh, But, Russ, it's a loss, right? That's all it is. It's a loss. We'll we'll get into the hows and whys and what happened, but outside of just saying it was disappointing and outside Mm -hmm. of saying – well, this one stings. How else can you categorize this? How else can you categorize?
1: It? Well, so I want to talk a little bit about what you said there before we talk about the breakdown of the game. And that is, you know, comments that uh, some that we saw, some that were directed at us uh, or me personally, you know, I commented that I was a hundred percent wrong. I fully admit that I was a hundred percent wrong. I was talking about, you know, the prediction of Mm -hmm. the the way the game went and everything. And we'll get into that a little bit later. And I said, I think that we can still have a good season. And I I believe, or I said, we can still have a good season. I believe we will. And, uh, you know, somebody responded with just laugh out loud. And I, you know, me, I don't care, uh, you know, about, Anything really. Uh,
0: (laughs) Russ (laughs) is the guy that will engage. Yeah, that's that's what it
1: is. And, you know, I I didn't respond back or whatever, but I'm, I mean, if that person is listening (laughs) and they take offense to what I say, I'm sorry. Go get your own podcast and start, (laughs) start (laughs) yelling, yelling, yelling at me for the things that I say, uh, because I really am the guy that could not care any less about what anybody thinks about me. Um, And I'm not trying to, you know, stir anything up, but if your only rebuttal is laugh out loud when I say we can still have a good season and I believe we will, that just tells me that you might not know as much about football as you think that you do because we were never, ever going to be seriously considered by anyone involved with putting us in a New Year's Six Bowl, certainly not the playoffs. Unless we were absolutely perfect and during our perfect season, like put up ridiculous stats and numbers against every single team, including this gauntlet of the Sun Belt. We were not the ones predicting undefeated this year. We said nine and three, both of us, yep. you know, and that you'll lose a game that you should win. It happens think back of how many undefeated teams that Marshall has had in the history of our football team. I can think of two unless I'm missing Just just
0: take it back to the FBS era. That way you're right.
1: Yeah. One, 99, you know?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then, and the national title team. So from 1996
1: till now. Yeah. Well, I thought you meant when we were in FBS, uh, 96 and 99 were the only two and 96, we were basically a, Bowl winning football team, D1, FBS. uh, It wasn't called that at the time, but playing against inferior talent. You know, we had an NFL wide receiver. He could have played in the NFL that year playing against FCS opponents. Um, It is tough for every single team to go undefeated. So no one was saying that we were going to be undefeated New Year's Six Bowl. I think some fans got that in their heads after, you know, and it was, it was a possibility, you know? And if you run the table, sure. I'd I'd say that there's no chance anyone else takes away an undefeated Marshall team from playing in the New Year's Six Bowl if we're undefeated with wins convincingly over App State, uh, Troy, Louisiana, Coastal, Georgia Southern, um, Notre Dame. O, 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 yeah, well, I mean we'd already beat them.
0: But but it it's a win on the scale.
1: It it is. Notre Dame, uh JMU who looks very good, old Dominion. We've got a big schedule this year. Yeah. So if we take care of business, and I think that we can, there's nothing to laugh about that. Uh, we can go 8 and 4 and still have a good season based on how many great teams we're playing. No one in here is saying, hey, we're going to win the rest of our schedule. We'll never have another hiccup or anything like that. That is what we're talking about, a good season, you know. Uh, but I saw a lot of other people like you did say the worst loss in the history. And I have to start thinking, all right, you and I are both 43 and we were here for 97. I was watching during the early 90s and everything. I know that you followed them, too. But, I mean, I was up here in the stadium watching. Um I keep having to remind myself that there are people that are Marshall fans right now that are around the college age that were born in two thousand and three. Yeah, in the in the yeah tail end of the Mac era. Yeah, they they were born and don't even couldn't have remembered the year that we beat. Kansas State at Kansas State so they can look back at all the stuff just like we look back at the things that happened in the 70s or the early 80s that we were just too young to remember but we weren't there to experience them to have a better perspective on it some of our older fans that have been seeing us play since the 50s and 60s and things like that have a better perspective than you and I do just looking things up because they were there that's just Mm -hmm. the nature of it but there are some. Serious knee jerk reactions and some fans that are going from we're going to beat the 85 Bears after you beat Notre Dame to we'll never win again. And you just can't do that. Fan is short for fanatics. And that's what we all are. But at some point, you got to come off the ledge a little bit. And it seems to me there's uh, quite a few people. That, and this is not just with Marshall, this is with every sport, every, you know, whether college or pro of they have been hurt so many times that they want it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy that when they get let down, they're like, see, I told you they're, they're always going to do this. And this is the way it is. And my team sucks and guys just enjoy the football games, enjoy the basketball games, enjoy I'm a Reds fan, man. I mean, come on. You know, I, I I'm not sitting here every day, even though I joke that we're going to go 162 and 0 every season as a joke. I know that it's an uphill climb that my Reds are going to make the playoffs as long as the Castellinis are there as the owners. I know that Marshall is not going to have an inside track to play in the playoffs because of how the people that vote on such a thing perceives this team. You have to have a perfect season, and no one was predicting that. We're two and one, like you said. A lot of people were going to be happy with us being two and one, or expecting us to be two and one. It's out of conference. We could go eight and zero in conference. It does not change anything in the conference. We were probably never going to be getting that New Year's six game unless we were undefeated. So it is what it is. That's all I got to say about it
0: yeah i I mean if you 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 can be the type of fan you want to be that's not for me to govern right i am not the the fan police you can do and say whatever you want to say and for better or worse that's the world we live in uh you know but i had to make the comment i don't think whoever you know tweeted this at me was suggesting that i was but i you know i qualified the rebuttal to that by saying i don't live week to week my fandom doesn't isn't governed week to week yeah you know i'm a fan of this team and and this university and this athletic department and you know there was a time when i used to not want anybody to talk to me for a couple of days after a loss and that doesn't make me any more passionate than i am now you know mm-hmm. it just means i don't let it affect my day i don't sure. let it affect the people around me it sucked like i was at the watch party this past weekend with some friends and you know and we're and we're sitting there like this is what's going to happen. Like, you know, we, we're going to end up losing this one for whatever reason. And it happened. And we were like, you know, it was a big gut punch. It was like, I can't believe I just watched that happen. But you know, 15, 20 minutes after we're talking about what went wrong. And then, we're like, all right, well, see you next week, you know, and you go on about your day right? and, and, and you, you talk about, you know, what went wrong and what went right a little bit and what we could have done differently and what you saw and you, you have your normal fandom second guessing of coaching decisions and, and all that kind of stuff. That's fun. That's part of it. What I don't do is get on my platform, our platform. Neither one of us get on there and start saying, well, fire this guy. We'll bench that guy. Well, that ain't going to happen chief. Right. That ain't, that is not what I'm going to do. That is not what we're going to do. You yeah. Know?
1: Because we're two fans and that's all we are. That's you know, right. We're, We're we're just two guys, fans talking to other fans, so it's not like
0: in this capacity. I'm sorry to cut you off there. In this in this capacity of wins and losses, I look at this very much like um, you know we're both dads. I look at this in relationships with my son. When he succeeds, I love him, and when he fails, I love him harder. That's that's just what I do. Like you think that you think that your personal disappointment for the way the game turned out Saturday even registers on the same scale of disappointment that the guys are out there Monday through Friday, busting their asses at practice, getting hit and bloodied and hurt and fighting and playing through injury. You think that matters more than what they're dealing with? They played the game. They, they, they dealt with the disappointment firsthand. You know, we just get to sit and watch and go, man, that sucks. I'd have done this differently. Yeah. You know, we're not putting in the preparation. I'm not getting my ankles taped five days a week. I'm not, you know, putting on smelly shoulder pads five days a week and busting my ass. I'm not well, doing that.
1: Well, I tailgate so hard. I actually did get my ankles taped before we went out. To <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, enough
0: about that. Let's talk about the game. The herd, like I said, yeah. falls to two and one on the season. And from the get go, it looked like we were right as rain. The herd goes up 14 to nothing, two minutes and 32 seconds into the game. And I was thinking, along with probably everybody else in Kelly Green and White, off to the races. Here yep. we go. Uh, Corey Gamage makes an unbelievably heads-up play to where he's not down, does a little, you know, using the hand to get back on the feet and takes off down the sidelines. The defense quit on the play, and he didn't. Scores a touchdown. Then the very next possession, Caleb McMillan cuts the seam up the middle, 70-ish plus yards to the house, and we are off and running. But give credit to Bowling Green. They got punched in the mouth, and they stood tall. They kept chopping wood. They did what I say we should do all the time. Just keep chopping wood. Put your head down. Keep going to work. See where you're at at the end of the scoreboard. That's exactly – or that they at the end of the whistle. That's exactly what they did, and they came out on top. They just kept chopping wood. They adjusted and uh, overcame a really horrendous start in front of their homecoming crowd to pull out a really, really impressive win at the hands of the herd. Now, the herd did beat – Themselves, the four major indicators will, by and large, back me up on that. Uh, but you know, it, you can directly point to turnovers as the reason Marshall lost this game, and it's 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 the same reason that we've started off two and zero is now, is why we are now two and one. Turnovers right. was what we were garnering in big numbers through weeks one and two, and we didn't get a one in week three. Uh, total yardage is quite impressive for the herd. Even though the scoreboard doesn't really – you would think that the yardage wouldn't be this this high in an overtime affair that, you know, basically saw Marshall gain no yards in overtime, you know, 10, whatever. I don't know, not many. Uh, 547 total yards of offense for the Herd versus just 377. Huge edge for Marshall. Uh, Time of possession was really even. Slight edge to Bowling Green, 31 minutes, 48 seconds to 28 minutes, 12 seconds. Uh, First downs go to the herd 23 to 19 for Bowling Green. But the big one, the big one, draw a circle around it. This is the reason. This is why Marshall loses, and we can pinpoint the exact reasons why. Turnovers, three of them for the herd, not counting any on fourth down, um, and zero for Bowling Green. That Mm -hmm. was the difference. The herd fumbles two times inside of the Bowling Green five-yard line. Um, A a couple of missed calls also contributed to a little bit of Bowling Green success. They had several, you know, one time out of a hundred, you make the catch type catches that went for scores. Uh, There were a few of those head, head scratching coaching decisions that we can talk about late in the game, particularly in overtime. And there was a textbook. I don't know if this would have made a difference in the game. I mean, it might have, but there was a textbook targeting call that was not called. I mean, if you, if I'm in the NCAA and somebody raises their hand at the headquarters and says, what is targeting? I'm showing them that video.
1: And they're like, this is targeting. This is what it is. To clarify, it was called, they reviewed it and picked it up. (laughs) And then they said, no, we were wrong. (laughs) Uh, Apparently you're allowed to try to explode someone's helmet with your (laughs) own helmet, you know? So, All of it is – it was
0: Murphy's Law, right? Let me talk about those two fumbles. One inside the five-yard line, you're just like, dang, that's a tough break. But the second one, when LeBourne goes – hits the air, he goes airborne, and the guy just puts a helmet on the ball. That doesn't happen all the time, but it was one of those freaky things, and the ball just plopped right out and shot through the back of the end zone for a touchback. Now, let me say this. If LeBorn doesn't go airborne – that looks like the ball would the ball in the air looks like roughly about where his head would have been had he stayed on the ground. So you may have been looking at a horrendous hit on Kalon LeBourne. I would much rather, much rather lose this game and have the ball sell out of the back of the end zone than him potentially get decleated and uh, concussed or something to where he's on the sidelines for the next game. And now you're looking at RB1 and 2 on the sidelines moving forward for the foreseeable future. Tough break, but I'll lose the battle to win the war. Right? We lost the battle of Bowling Green. We're hoping to win the war of the Sun Belt. Um, if I'm just deadly mistaken, and you you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but in the college game, when the ball hits the ground, are you not down? You don't have to be touched down, right? It's the same way if you catch the ball with a knee on the ground, you're down. So when the quarterback, we were we were it was a Bowling Green passing play. We were in pursuit of the quarterback and he kind of stumbles a little bit and puts ball to ground to regain his balance he should have been blown dead right there should he not be as I understand it yes okay so that if we're right then that's a missed call because he wasn't blown dead and that changes the trajectory of the game a little bit because now you're farther back and down in distance and blah 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 well the next play is a huge bowling green touchdown huge and i will contend that if, if it's the one I'm thinking of that it should have been offensive pass interference. Uh, it's the one that the ball got pinned basically between the receiver and Micah Abraham's back and kind of was able to be caught by the wide receiver. But if you look at the front view, I've seen camera views of that play and their wide receiver is reaching in front of and across Micah Abraham and tugging that Jersey so that he has basically no ability to make any sort of play on that ball whatsoever uh, it, it's one of those iffy calls that could have gone by way of OPI. Ah, it just didn't. So a couple of things there. Again, we're not making excuses. These are just Murphy's Law things that happened to the herd. It just wasn't their day. Um, and the, I guess let's talk about the head-scratching coaching decisions. Two of them come to my mind right away. Number one, you're loaded up to stop the run on a fourth down where Bowling Green can't run the ball at all, hadn't run the ball at all, and the tight end squirts through and it goes for a huge touchdown, like basically uncovered and untouched, huge. We all looked at one another and we're like, we're loading up on the run, they can't move the ball, and then nobody covers the one guy that squirts through and he's all alone. Second, head-scratching coaching decisions, you got the best player on the field and you don't give him the ball in overtime at all. Uh, that to me was the two biggest glaring things. Like, oh, right. I can't believe we did that. Um, but I'm going to say this last line, and then you can give me your thoughts on the game before we get into stats. Resulted, all of it resulted in a very disappointing outcome. Obviously, the herd falls 34 to 31, although there were very, very, uh, quite a few bright spots individually. Core Gamage had a great day. Caleb McMillan had a great day. Charlie Gray, Bo Plan, Veerhoff, and McConnell all played great games, but there just weren't enough to overcome some of those mistakes. Mur- Murphy's Law rear rearing its ugly head a little bit and somewhat lackluster play at times, at times. It, it, the focus wasn't 100% of what it was against Notre Dame. That's fair to say. And they made enough plays to get a win. Russ, uh, before we start talking about individual statistics, what about some of the things I just said?
1: Well, <clears throat> nothing you said changes anything that I was thinking back then. You know, you're pretty spot on, but we had talked about Herd scoring in the 40s and them, Bowling Green scoring, you know, mid teens. All right. We got that wrong about what they were going to score, but it looks like without those two fumbles, and yes, you can't say, you know, well, let's just wipe them out because they did happen. But Labern was running all over that team, and especially the play before, and, you know, he was juking people, jumping over people, that sort of thing. He was leaping the defender Mm -hmm. and on his way to an amazing top 10 ESPN highlight on that touchdown run. He did not see the guy coming in. And like you said, I mean, he was up there. He was elevated and helmet right on the ball. Textbook, can't take anything away from that defender doing that. I don't think that he had launched until after Labron had launched. So I was not concerned like you were that he was you know going to be up helmet to helmet because i think laboring jumped first and then the guy jumped and put his helmet right on the ball laboring didn't see it otherwise you know he's going to have a different thing but he's going to hurdle a guy thinking that's the only body there only person there he just totally didn't see the guy textbook hit helmet to ball goes out of the end zone if that doesn't happen he misses by just a little bit that guy is just a a foot to two feet late getting over there he's hurtling that guy and we go up Mm -hmm. let's say that those two fumbles did not happen and we punch it in and they still go down and score just like they did we're still looking at 42 to 28 and i want to know what fan wouldn't say well bowling green gave us their best shot but we beat them by two touchdowns yep You know, we're looking at a drastically different game, and that's why this game is so hard for teams to go undefeated because a play here, a play there, only one of those fumbles doesn't happen. And we win the game, you know, if everything happens the way that it ended up happening, we win 35-28, to and we say, whoo, got out of a road game with a win, you know? But we're not talking about last second, have to come back doing that. We just absolutely are up two touchdowns. Uh, and again, that could have changed the way they might have been more desperate uh, because they were down. Uh, at one point, it would have been 28-7, to seven, I think. Uh, maybe they are throwing deeper. Maybe they're throwing into double coverage. You know, like, hey, we're desperate now. We've got to come up with bigger chunks of of offense um, maybe that's where we get a pick maybe that's where we they take too long trying to let a play develop and we get one of those sacks where we were just right there and just missed them. that game changes quite a bit off of those two fumbles yeah, of and, course I'm, it does. and i'm not taking anything away from Labrin because like you said he was the best player on the team Yeah, he's the best player on, on the, the field on, on yeah. the field that's what I mean. he
0: was the best player on the field and it it's 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 just unfortunate, right? So this is by no means the worst loss in Marshall history. That's funny. That's funny to me because this is – if you look at these numbers, all of these guys that we're going to talk about for the herd, both offensively and defensively, the leaders, the stat leaders, of they had great games. I mean, they had great games. It was a bad read by, you know, Columbia that leads to an interception that he could have just as easily tucked the ball and ran, you know, and picked up some positive yardage. Kids trying to make a play, and it just didn't go his way. You know, that we're going to have that. We're, that's going to happen. That's football.
1: To like me, I'm, losses like uh, losing to New Hampshire at home, you know, would would be much, much higher than something like this that we just experienced.
0: This is a game that Marshall, in all intents and purposes, should have won. And we know that. You're talking about it. Turnovers doomed the herd. They did. So it, it's not one that you can look at and go, oh, my God, we just got manhandled. I can't believe we got manhandled by Bowling Green. We didn't get manhandled by Bowling Green. We stacked up nearly 550 yards of total offense. So, look, individually, our guys that led the clubhouse, the offensive, defensive, special teams, had great days. It was just the turnovers equalized the game and gave Bowling Green the advantages and enough opportunities they needed to get a win in this game. Henry Columbia 23 of 34 for 338 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Kalen LeBourne, 24 carries, 157 yards and two touchdowns, six and a half yards per carry, and of course, just the two fumbles. Through three games, Russ, he's got 422 rushing yards. The dude is almost halfway to a thousand yard season and we're three games in. Uh, We mentioned, you saw the stat last game that he was the first herd running back to start his career with back-to-back hundred yard games. Well, put him in a category, at least in, you know, again, rarefied air himself, first herd running back to start a career, three games over a hundred yards. It's pretty amazing stuff. Corey Gamage, seven catches for a hundred yards and a touchdown, that one that went 51 yards. And then Caleb McMillan, two catches for 92 yards and a touchdown, the one that went 78 yards up the middle today to pay dirt. Uh, the Herd did, though, this is a concerning trend to me now, Russ. The Herd did allow four sacks. We talked about the shakeup on offensive line. So as the season has progressed, we have allowed an additional sack per week. Norfolk State, you give up two. You're thinking, ah, no big deal, whatever. Whatever. You know, it's probably some backups in there, some guys down the depth chart. It's not a big deal. It's inconsequential. It doesn't matter. Notre Dame, you give up three sacks. And you go, okay, well, still enough. We got the job done. Not a big deal. Bowling Green, we have given up four sacks now. This is starting to become a trend that's going in the wrong direction. And, and now seven
1: you, seven tackles for loss. Um, and then when with, you
0: couple that with the shakeup at offensive line coaching standpoint, now you start to go, okay, we've got we're trending in the wrong direction in a really important category – and we've got a coaching change to attend to. The, the last positive for this hurt offense is they did go 7-15 of 15 on third down. Let's freeze right there, and let's talk about this offensive line trend. I know you want to talk about it maybe a little bit when you get to grades, but let's, let's talk about that because I'm not sure you are aware of that. Two in the first game, three in the second game, four sacks in the third game. It's a trend that's going in the wrong direction, and now we have a coaching change to contend with. Uh, we're going to start to get into part of the season where now if most everyone if not everyone is playing somewhat banged up. You're 3 games in, nobody's 100%. Nobody. So, what do we do here? What what do we think the what do we think the issue is? Because I know each game's its own animal, right? You don't know what's going on. But it's it's cause for concern. It, it's one of those things, Jack. Like, well, we can't go. We can't allow five against Troy. Well, we can't allow right. six against gardner Webb, and moving on. Yeah. So until that trend comes to a stop, it's still rising. So what do we what what do you think is going on here?
1: So I think that nothing is going on other than what we had predicted early in the off season that it may take a little time for them to hit their stride. Everyone playing at the positions that they would be settled into, beside who they're settled into. I think that one, the first week was it was against Norfolk State. You know, that's why there was only two of them. We played a very, very, very good game against Notre Dame. And I would argue that two of those sacks were on the quarterback because one was the play that I was talking about Devin Miller got separation, the safety started cheating up, thinking it was going to be a QB run or that he was going to throw shallow. And he could have lobbed it over his head and possibly gotten 40 yards. He ended up getting sacked as he was running toward the sideline and did not throw the ball away. The other one was running in the backfield, kind of similar, uh, buying some time, didn't throw the ball away. Those I don't put on the offensive line. So we're talking about backups, I think, at least one in Norfolk State, maybe both of those. It's been so long now that I can't remember those particular sacks. I'd have Mm -hmm. to go back and watch the game. One that I would put on the offensive line against Notre Dame, by the way, number eight in the country at the time. Uh, This game was more on the offensive line. So this, to me, is more like the fumbles that we had that it was just the worst possible thing that was going on, that we had given up sacks and tackles for loss, also had some turnovers, and our defense didn't get us some turnovers like we've been used to, and that was the difference of the game. I don't see it being a major concern, although you don't want to give up four sacks and seven tackles for loss every game, and it's definitely something they need to address. I think that those stats are just a little bit misleading in the first two games that makes it look like it's trending in the wrong direction, where I could easily take two of those away, put them on the quarterback versus putting them on the O-line. He throws those two balls away, just throws them out of bounds, and you don't have two sacks. Yeah. You know, he had plenty of time to do it. He was way out of the pocket both times.
0: So that's what I was hoping you would say because the, the average fan of, is going to look at that and go, man, we're giving up more sacks every week. Yeah. Right? So you need to put some context to that, and that's, and I'm glad that you were able to put that context there. So now you go, okay, well, maybe we don't have an offensive line problem. Maybe we aren't trending in the wrong direction. Maybe this, maybe that. So you just look at that stat, and automatically you, you contribute it or you attribute it to the offensive line. You don't think about the context of the play.
1: You don't think about – what the defense did or here here's for some baseball nerds out there like i am you can have johnny bench greatest catcher of all time by the way behind the plate and if a runner steals the base sometimes there's nothing johnny bench can do about it because you can steal bases on the pitcher you can get a sack on a quarterback and it has nothing to do with offensive line they may have done their blocking they may have done everything that they could it could be a running back didn't pick up a blitz. It could be a wide receiver didn't block as well as they should on a, on a blitz or, you know, tight end, anything like that. And what we saw against Notre Dame, Columbia trying to buy time. Mm-hmm. Again, nothing that he did wrong. These are just right. things that happen. This
0: is how it happens.
1: He he was buying time. He was well outside of the pocket on both of those It goes down as a sack. One of those was like a half a yard loss. He was right at the line of scrimmage trying to find someone to throw it to. He could have flicked it out of bounds. Uh, He ended up getting sacked. He pulled the ball down instead of trying to do that. Maybe if they're already grabbing him, he tries to do that. He throws an interception. He just tucked it and went down with it. It It's a half yard loss. Who cares? It shows up as a sack on the box score. So people, people go, oh, offensive line had nothing to do with the offensive line.
0: That's right. It's just a point I, I wanted to get out there. I, I think there are probably some fans that are going, all right, we've got a problem, you know, and we don't necessarily have a problem. There are extenuating circumstances. Even though we all know that there that it goes that way sometimes, you don't think about it initially. Uh, let's talk about the defense. The defensive standouts this week, Charlie Gray and Abraham Boplan leading the way, both nine total tackles. Charlie Gray with three solo bow plan with two Charlie Gray also adds a half tackle for loss. Bow plan adds two passes defended Andre Sam. Not so quietly having a really, really good season for the herd third leading tackler this week, seven total tackles four solo one tackle for loss and two passes defended as far as impacts, impact plays go not too many for the herd. We did rack up a couple of sacks. Owen Porter again for the third straight game lands in the impact play column and Damian, Barber also notches a sack. Positive team to statistics for the herd defense. They held Bowling Green to just 77 yards rushing as a team, which is three yards under the season average for the herd. Uh, they did, though, allow Bowling Green to go seven of 18 on third downs and two of two on fourth downs. So you could say, you could say, that uh, Bowling Green wanted this game a little bit more. They were willing to take a, a few more added risks in order to keep hold of the ball, keep that hurt offense off of the field, and those calculated risks worked. One in a big way, you know, big time led to a touchdown. Loaded up on that on that run play, which is um, is rough to me. It, it's it, that 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 one hurt to see a guy come that free. Russ uh, Reese Vierhoff. One of one on field goals, a 38-yarder, and four of four on extra points. John McConnell might have had quietly the greatest day of everybody. And uh, I don't I take that how you feel about the punter having a, a great day. He had six total punts for a 42.3-yard average, five of which landed inside the 20 uh, with a long of 51 yards. Uh, John McConnell had a stellar day and even picked up a running into the kicker penalty along the way as well. Just a great day for him. Nothing noise-wise made in the return game, neither punt returns, punt coverage, kick returns, or kick coverage. One of these games, somebody's going to make some noise for the herd in one of those categories. But for now, in this short season, this young season, it just hasn't happened. Before we get into your grades, I want to do like I did last week and revisit my keys to victory and see how that went for the herd. Number one, I said they had to block out the noise. I'm not so sure that they did that as well as uh, they needed to. Uh, you know, there's a, probably a little bit of not as much respect given to Bowling Green as it was Notre Dame. And, you know, I, it's understandable. And it's two polar opposite programs as far as pres- prestige and historic relevance goes. Uh, number two, I said the past is irrelevant. Well, I mean, it still is, but Marshall ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw up there in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Bowling Green, uh, Ohio, and could not notch a win. Uh, number three, I said you have to let them eat, meaning the wide receivers and the playmakers. I think they did do that. We saw two very exciting long touchdown plays, with catches and runs, and and Kalen LeBourne just did nothing but eat and dine on falcon meat all day long, with the exception of two unfortunate fumbles. And then number 4 I said the herd needs to leave no doubt of how good of a team that they are and that is a big X. They did not leave they left plenty of doubts because there are a lot of fans that are questioning how good is this team now. And we know that the stats say this is still a really good team. They're two fumbles away. Even the even the interception is kind of insignificant, you know? I mean, it's a bad decision, but it may have led to a score, but the fumbles inside the five as you're going in to score touchdowns was the difference in this game? So I think they did leave doubt, but I still think they were the better team by far. They just didn't, uh, you know, manage to put enough points on the scoreboard. So, Russ, piggybacking off of that, let's kind of talk about some grades. Um, we've been harping on this game for quite a bit, but we've got to do grades. Uh, what do you got for your offensive
1: grade this week? B. Uh, you can't have three turnovers and get an A plus. Uh, yardage, they were right there. I mean, they scored four times. Should have had two more touchdowns if it had not been for those unfortunate turnovers. If those two things, those not the interception, but again the fumbles, we're talking about forty two points and six hundred yards of total offense. I think that would be very good. I'm knocking them down a full letter grade to a B. Merely because of the turnovers. I'm going to go
0: down just a little bit farther, right? Not too much farther. I'm going to say this is a C-plus performance because what we harped on leading into this season happened in this game Piled up a bunch of yardage, couldn't get a lot of points. That was the bugaboo of the team we talked about last year. You know, they moved the ball a lot, but just couldn't. Turnovers kept them out of the end zone, and that's what we saw this year. Now, I know in this game, now I know it's different. Last year we were talking about interceptions. This game it was fumbles, but it's the same recipe. You're piling up a lot of yardage, and then you just can't punch it into the end zone. So, for me, it's a C-plus game because if this is an average performance and you take away those turnovers – you're an A-plus effort. You're an A-effort, right? That That's that's all it is to me.
1: Yeah, and I can't fault you for saying C-plus on there. I mean, that's not wildly different than a B. No. But, but when you say they didn't put up a lot of points, and we're talking about if teams in the country put up an average of 28 points, they are on the above average nationally. Uh, and we were talking about the over-under. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was like 30-point one seven or something like that, 30 and a half. So, you know, are they going to do above 31 on the average of the year? And I took the over. I think maybe it was higher than that. Uh that's not a bad thing. And again, I'm qualifying that had they scored those two touchdowns, we're going to be at 42. That's and that's difference. why that's why I knocked them down. But I don't yeah. think I don't think twenty eight points on a normal game against a Mac bowling green team is that bad. Uh, should we have scored 40? Yeah, we almost did. That's why I give them a B, but I I can't say that that's not a good points on the board. Not a lot of points because a lot of times 28 points is more than enough to win a football game, especially if your defense is doing what it's supposed to do.
0: A lot of times it may be, uh, for me, the magic number always, for some reason has been 30, right? Like if you can average 30, you're going to end up with probably more wins than losses. But in this league, I know this was not a league game, but in this league, I don't know that 31 points is going to win against the teams that you need to get past, you know. So uh, maybe it's not about – maybe I phrased that wrong. Maybe I should have said instead of putting points on the board, it's the number of points that you left off of the board that knocks I, it down a little bit.
1: I could go with that. The quote yeah. was that we didn't put up a lot of points, and yeah. we sco- we scored more in uh, regular than we did against Notre Dame, and, yeah, I know we were going against Notre Dame's defense. But like I'm saying, four touchdowns is generally enough to win the majority of your games.
0: Yeah, if, and and it may be. Maybe that's what I should have said is, is, is the points that we left off of the board. If, if any of those make their way to the scoreboard, this is a totally different ballgame, obviously. Yeah. Um, quarterback play. What do you got against Bowling Green?
1: I'm going to say probably a B plus, uh, less of a efficient, you know, high ninety some percent uh, passing uh, attempts versus completions rate, um, but more downfield, bigger throws. Receivers had a lot of yards after catch that aided that, but uh, we saw a lot of lot of yardage. He had one bad read for the interception. I don't think that I saw him missing wide-open receivers. I saw him spreading the ball around, uh, coming out a little bit more of what traditionally you would think that you would want a Marshall quarterback doing, putting up over 300 yards, spreading the ball, hitting a lot of receivers, including your uh number one receiver for all intents and purposes for seven times and 100 yards. Mm-hmm. So... I give him uh, that grade this time.
0: Yeah, it's a fair grade. I'm going to give Henry an A plus for the first two and a half minutes of the game because man, <laughs> yeah. 130 passing yards or whatever it was right off of the bat and two touchdowns. You're out of the uh, off and running. Uh, but you, know, it's still, the remainder of the game outside of you know uh, uh, things that are ha- that are going to happen during the course of the football game. If you're nitpicking. If you have to nitpick, it's it's not like we sat back here and go, well, you know, he was ten of twenty four for, you know, a hundred and ten yards and five picks. We're not doing that. We're 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 saying, okay, it was one bad read mm-hmm. that is just a bad decision. Trying kids trying to make a play, play didn't go his way, right? Yeah, it happens. How many of us has that happened to? You know, we, we, we make decisions all the time in our normal lives hoping that it goes one way and it goes the other way. So uh, B-plus is fair, and I'm right there with you. I mean, I can't – there is not too many herd fans if they don't put a score to the context and you say, hey, would you take your quarterback averaging 50 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception every game? They'd say, hell yes, every yeah. game. Give me that every game, and I like our chances to win. Uh, defense, what do you got for the
1: defense? Are we going to talk about the offensive line as well, or are we skipping You can
0: expound it? on it. I, I, was, right. I thought you might ex- include it in your offense breakdown.
1: Well, so just because uh, Morrissey resigned before the game, and I said that we would touch on it a little bit more, okay. I just, I just want to say this, so it doesn't have to be officially in your grades, but I give them a B-plus as well. I do not like the sacks, and I do not like the tackles for loss, but we're talking about, 500 and what was it 47 yards almost 550 it was right there 550 547 yards 191 on the ground yep where you know yes we have an amazing talent in caitlin labor but you have to have those big guys opening up those holes for him so he's not getting tackled in the backfield so he can hit those holes and make those um those jukes and those jumps that he is so good at and the explosiveness that he has. So, man, there's, again, there's going to be people, and I've seen it, all our offensive line killed us. I don't, I don't see it that way. These guys paved the way for us to have those throws that got 338 yards, mm-hmm. give the the receivers time to get into their routes, uh, having the holes open for laboring to get out into open field where he can make those plays that he did. So the only thing is I mean take away two of those sacks, you know, and we're talking about two sacks and give uh, we're getting 547 yards. Everybody would be raving about, well, the offensive line did their job. It just kind of pops out that they had four sacks and seven tackles for loss. So instead of two sacks and five tackles for loss, it looks crazy worse to have those numbers. Yes, it's a concern. Yes, we need to correct it. But still, good job by our offensive line.
0: Yep, for the third straight week they've opened up a 100-yard rusher and in the week week 1 they opened holes up for two 100-yard rushers. So, four 100-yard rushing performances in three games by this offensive line unit and particularly those starting five guys who are doing the line share of all the work. Yeah. It's it's just unfortunate that you can, you know, you can do all the things right and then you know you look at a stat category like sacks and go, man, what is going on there? Well, never mind the fact that they're opening up for a, almost two hundred yard, two hundred rushing yards per game, you know. And yeah, you've got to get it past that initial line of defense for your running backs you know, innate skill set to be able to kick in a little bit more, you know, not everybody's not Barry Sanders, right? So you can't just start juking as soon as you get the ball and try to, and try to break free. You, you need a little daylight to make something happen and our guys are opening up holes uh, for the, for the most part, they're keeping our quarterbacks clean. And, And, you know, you've mentioned it. A lot of this, a lot of the sacks are coming from plays trying to be extended to make a play when the initial reads aren't there. And we've got to go a little bit of backyard football real quick and just see who's open and start scrambling around. So they're doing a great job. Guys could, like, pop, just calm down a little bit. You know, I, I set Russ up with that two, three, four sack stat a little while ago so he could explain to folks that it may have let it slip their mind exactly what may be going on with the offensive line. They're still playing at a very high level. Defensively, what do you got, Russ?
1: C-minus. And, uh, again, it's the lack of turnovers we had come to expect. Maybe we are spoiled. But I feel like we have two lockdown, shutdown uh, defensive backs in Abraham and um, Gilmore. And I don't think that they got torched. I don't think that they got burned. But we're looking at two ball hawks that have made it difficult for anybody to catch passes. And they're not alone back there. We've got a lot of talent in the safeties. Um We didn't get the pressure that I wanted to see. We did not get the turnovers, and we let them get some key third downs and fourth downs, as you mentioned. So I have to say that even with those two turnovers and everything, we do a little bit better job on defense. It's also a drastically different game.
0: Of course. Uh, The the defense, unfortunately, was a little bit of a letdown. Uh, It's That's not out of the realm of fairness to say that it's quite obvious you know the I said this to you before it looked like the underneath crossing route was open all day long It, it just appeared that to me and maybe it wasn't but it seemed like every time that Bowling Green needed to move the ball on a third and medium that route was open and they were able to pick up that first down or if it was second and long they could run that route and make it a third and manageable maybe that was you know me just manifesting that but it seemed like in real time like god that's open again yeah and we didn't get to the quarterback as we should have been able to you know we we had more success in the previous two weeks against probably more talented offensive lines in south bend indiana than bowling green was putting up there no nothing against those guys but we weren't able to get we were so close i mean marshall was inches away from having like A six sack performance, you know, and this kid would just just be out of the reach of our defenders bearing down on him and be able to get the ball off. And then, you know, he may hit the ground after that. And it's just it's it was a game of we say this so much so cliche it was a game of inches. And we just couldn't get that last inch in order to make the play before they could make an offensive
1: play. And now, again, just to qualify for those listening, we had two sacks, seven tackles for loss, which we had just said was a lot for us to give up, seven tackles for loss. And we also had six pass deflections and four QB hurries. Mm -hmm. But this guy, and I don't know if it's just he's had amazing luck or he's that good, this quarterback for Bowling Green but he is still not throwing a pick through three games. Yeah. Uh he was elusive when he needed to be in all three games. I watched, you know, went back and watched some of the uh highlights from uh, uh the Eastern Kentucky and it was more of the same, you know, of getting away when he needed to and evading those sacks. Um we just cannot do that against a team that cannot run and I don't think that they're amazing even against like the stats that they put up through the first two games weren't that great, but we again held them to 77 yards. I think it was on the, on the running. Yep. So we did well, but we can't give up four regular season or regular time touchdowns and the passing yards that we did and not get any turnovers. I had to go see minus.
0: Yeah. And that's a fair grade. Everybody's going to, Point to the turnovers on offense and the the lack of impact plays on defense as to why this game didn't go the herd's way. Special teams, what do you got?
1: 100, man, A+. Plus. Uh, I would love to see the return game break out. And like you mentioned, it's going to happen at some point. We've got too many talented people there. I don't know if it's a uh, a blocking situation or too much hang time on the punts. Uh, but you just have that feeling that one of these guys, Harrison or Keaton's going to – bust out a long run but you mentioned five punts inside the 20 you mentioned getting that uh running into the kicker penalty to help us out uh 42.3 yards average on six punts flawless on extra points and field goals i don't think it gets much better than that uh, the defensive uh side of special teams uh no one really broke anything crazy against us um we're we're doing everything that we can on special teams so i have to give them an a plus
0: yeah they did their job and i say that every week as long as special teams does their job that's what people are going to say it's it's when the plays go awry blocked punt you know missed field goals kick returns given up for touchdown or long gainers That's when people go, all right, what's going on here? But as long as you're doing your job and things are going the way you need them to go, you're going to get a high praise grade by and large. Coaching. Okay. Could be interesting here. Break it down however you want, but what's your grade for coaching?
1: D. uh, Here's where I'm going to get a flood of uh, hate mail, but uh, I don't think the number one glaring thing is that you can't, not put the ball in Caitlin Labrin's hands in overtime. Um, I think that they outthought themselves that it was going to be expected, so they had to throw a throw a ball instead. And then they're like, well, now it's, uh, you know, first and 10, so we're going to have to, I mean, second and 10, so now we're going to have to throw and then got to throw on third down, that sort of thing. You've got to let the big dog eat. And that's what he was doing all game long. You know, those two fumbles aside, he was just churning up yards, six point something uh, per carry. And I feel like we could have gone up six and seven points just putting the ball in his hands in overtime alone. Now, that's hindsight, but it was still one of the most questionable calls that I'd seen. Someone asked me on our post-game spaces about what I thought about, uh, you know, the punt that was on the one where we pinned the guy down on the one. And do you take that penalty and everything? No, because you're still you're looking instead of fourth and seven, it's fourth and two. And then if you don't if you go for it, you don't get it. Everyone's going to be second guessing and saying, well, that lost us the game. I think that was the right call. So just to put that out there where I'm not putting that in my grade, is that being a bad decision? Because we discussed that amongst us and, and our fans. Um, I just did not see after those first two touchdowns, one of which was kind of a fluke with putting the, the hand down. Everyone thought he was down. Great play by Gamage, He didn't quit. But again, the defense kind of did. Otherwise, they could have just touched him down, you know, mm-hmm. tackled him. Um, I didn't see us open it up as an offense the way I wanted to, or the the hundred percent that Trickett called in Notre Dame. So I've got to say that's a negative for our uh, disappointment in how we handled that defense. I don't know if it was execution or the calls, but again, no impact plays, not. I mean, seven tackles for loss, but a lot of that was on the running backs that we just could not allow them to get a, a a yard, and we've been doing that all year. But we needed more sacks. We needed more blitzing. We needed to do something different. You mentioned that that route was open, the drags over the middle and the underneath routes, all game long. You've got to notice that and change. So overall, D. From head coach to offensive coordinator to defensive coordinator, I just felt like it could have been a different game making some different changes
0: and it's it's wild that you know a play here and a play there or one or two calls here and there can drastically change the way that you grade a performance. But when those plays result in points on on the board for your opposition, or you know, potential lack of points on the board for your own team, it's merited. Right, yeah. so y- y- you can look at the stats in this and go, "Wow, man, Marshall played a great offensive game, and you know they put up a fair amount of points. they just weren't able to get it done, and while that's true, you're coming off of a game with most people are viewing as the second biggest win ever, mm-hmm. and you kind of go up and lay a little bit of an egg. I mean you still yeah. executed well, you still moved the ball well, you made plays, you just didn't make enough of them. So I don't know that I would go with a D uh, The you know, I might also, you know, bump that up. Maybe I'm a little bit higher on the coaching grade and and go with a C. It was a very average performance, but uh, there were opportunities there to where we could out athlete Bowling Green's team. And we didn't do that. So the lack of killer instinct um, isn't something that I, I like to see. I'm not a fan of the, you know, well, let's be a little conservative here. You know, when you've got an opportunity to impose your will on someone, that's what you should do. You should attack and attack. And then when you're tired of attacking, you should attack as long as it's working. We proved it was working right. They couldn't stop LeBorn from basically at all. Uh, We had just had two massively huge athletic touchdown pass plays that were not bombs that rolled into the end zone. They were short passes that ran into the end zone. So you could see that there was a real opportunity there to exploit some defense. And we didn't do that. We didn't do it enough. You to know me,
1: I mean? it, it seemed like we were playing so conservative when we could have put up 60 on these guys and yeah, maybe the defense still gives up 28, maybe because we're scoring a lot, they give up even more and it's 35, but who wouldn't have wanted to go out there 62 yeah. to 35. Right. And we had the opportunity to throw to our playmakers and it seemed like we didn't. I don't know if that's on the QB or the offensive play calling, but, uh, I've got to give them a D. All right. Uh, uh, we got a couple more to do. We got to get through this because we've
0: got a game to preview. Um, Do you have a quick grade at all for the fans, maybe the interaction, ones that went to the game, anything you saw? I want to continue to do this grade. It won't always be be applicable to the situation that week, but we want to continue some –
1: a fan grade. I have to do a C-minus, and I'll base it mostly on the interactions that I've seen on social media. Uh, Too many people saying they're giving up – just what? What about this? Says this team gives up. What about that? Who? What? What indication is
0: there that they have given
1: up? No, no. I'm saying the fans are. Giving I know. Up.
0: I'm saying yeah. what about what to that person or those fans says? Well, this team's obviously giving up. Like,
1: what okay. are you seeing? I'm not seeing that. No, I'm. I'm not saying that they're saying the team's giving up. I'm saying they're giving up because they lost. You oh, know? the fan. The, the fan. The up. fan is giving up because <laughs> okay. the team lost. and. And I just, you know, how many times have we seen attendance drop off in the home as it goes through October or November? And someone will say either on social media or the message boards, like, well, you know, if they come in four and oh, you know, I'll definitely be going to that game, but I'm not going to go if they're like three and one or two and oh. That's crap, man. Yeah, I, I'm is. sorry. I'll call you out every single time. I'll write you a certified letter and send it to your house you cannot give up because of unrealistic expectations that you know your team is never going to go undefeated you should go into every year knowing that your team is not going to go undefeated and then when they do it is it's amazing you know because it truly is rare air uh, we're not bama and look how many times bama does not go undefeated you know things happen in football seasons, and it is much better for them to happen early. There's still plenty of life in this team. We haven't played a single conference game yet, which (laughs) is what matters, you know. And I just cannot give the fans as a whole a good grade because there's too many, woe is me, Eeyore, uh, this is the worst team on paper, right after this sugar rush high that they had after Notre Dame. Uh, it just seems that, you know, you're going too too far where you should dial in your expectations a little bit and say, hey, this is still a good team. They screwed up once, you know, you can't give up on a man.
0: Yeah, I have a good friend uh, who's a mutual friend of ours who has a saying that he reminds me of all the time. And it's not that I needed reminded of this, but it's one of those things that's like it's fitting this week. And he always says, usually your team is never as good as their biggest win, nor as bad as their worst loss. Most of the time, they're right there in the middle. And if Marshall is as good as uh somewhere in the middle of this loss, knowing that they gave it away, then they're still a pretty damn good team. You know, yes. they left two touchdowns off the board. And um, if you can What is it? 30? That'd be 40, almost 50 points. If this is a 50 point per game team, then they're pretty damn good. You know, so you got to take the highs and the lows. um, You know, they've got to kind of, you've got to temper that a little bit. You've got to be able to enjoy the wins. You've got to be able to stomach the losses without having a knee jerk, ridiculous reaction. Um, You know, fans are fans and fans can be fans and you can be a fan however you want to be a fan. But uh, it would behoove you on a personal level to not let it ruin your day, your week, your month, or the rel- relationships of those of the people you have to interact with. Yeah. If you live and die by every touchdown, drive, interception, or fumble, it's uh, it's 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 nice. And I'll say it again: when they win, you love them, and when they they struggle, you love them harder. Right? That's 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 the important thing. You show your support win, lose or draw. You never turn your back on the herd. You never give up on the herd because as soon as you give up, they'll win one for you. You aren't expecting them to win, and then you'll be pretending that you were there all along. Just be there all along through the wins and the losses. The losses make the wins even sweeter, you know. Um Russ, let's get the uh, quick MVPs of the week, and then we'll get on to the Troy preview.
1: All right, so I've got Labern, uh running all over them. Uh, i i I know that he is probably the worst person beating him up right now yeah over the over the two fumbles uh just a heck of a competitor i love his fire i love everything he's brought to the team i hope that he doesn't get it in his head and more so i hope that the fans don't expect this out of him because what i expect is to him go from this and just continue to have a monster season and run all over troy caitlin Laburn by far mvp for us in this I- game
0: I would agree, and as far as you know, any fans and their expectations, who cares? He's his own guy. He's the one in his own head. Uh, if, he's, if he sees a problem that needs fixed, he's going to fix it, or he's going to work to fix it. So enjoy what the kid's doing. I mean, he's playing his ass off. 450 yeah. yards plus through three games. I mean, he's been – think about this. A month ago, we were thinking he's going to be a good alternative when Ali needs to take a breath and bring in some fresh legs in the fourth quarter, and we've seen no – drop-off in running production with the absence of Rasheen Ali, and we're growing ever closer to him making a return. So all of you on-the-ledge fans that are like, oh, gosh, season's over, there's going to be a potential here pretty soon to have those two guys
1: in the same backfield. Then where
0: are you going to be? Oh, well, the
1: season's not over. You know, Ali had a couple of untimely fumbles last year as well. It Mm -hmm. wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot, but – you know, no one's superhuman. No one's never going to make a mistake.
0: That's right. It's a, it's okay to have, um, yeah, you, you, you know, to I can't think of the word. I hate when that happens. I, like I have a word in my head and then I lose it. But anyway, it's okay to point out things and and make comments and everything. But nobody is working harder than the players and coaches are to get it right. They they don't want to go down to Troy and go on a two game back to back lost streak to open up conference you a conference I say, god I got to get out of that habit Sunbelt belt conference play you know 0 and 1 i mean the focus is solely on troy right now solely uh defensive
1: mvp who you got i i guess andre sam uh we we had some other uh, players do a little bit uh more in terms of uh, tackles and things but i think this guy is continuing to show up and show out
0: yeah, he is. He's having a great season early in this one. Uh, best all-around effort. Charlie Gray, Bowplan, both had nine tackles on the day. A little bit of spattering in the, um, you know, not impact plays, but extracurricular activity categories, the tackles for lost passes defended. But Sam posted both of those, numbers in both of those categories. And probably the best all-around day for a herd defender. Special teams, who you got? Uh,
1: oh, McConnell. Or O'Connell. Uh,
0: McConnell. McConnell
1: mcconnell i'll get it right in a second um just a, a monster day from punting you know um, yep. five inside the 20 it was reminiscent to me i maybe you'll remember the uh the game uh Southern miss. <laughs> yeah there it was yeah uh where he just absolutely changed that game the punter and yeah. i think he had six inside the 20 or yeah. something like that and it was uh It was one of those performances. He set us up the best that our defense could be set up, and we didn't execute.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, for what Verhoff did, perfect on kicks on the day. McConnell, five kicks out of six inside the 21, landed at the one. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. You know, he kept them from being able to make waves in the punt return game. So, definitely the MVP. Do you have an other MVP that's non-positional, just somebody that stuck out to you? Nope. Okay, I do. Owen Porter, another great day, impact play category. So now we've seen him with a scoop and score and interception and sacks in back-to-back weeks uh, as well. Maybe one in all the games. I'm not sure. But he just continues to put numbers in that impact play category. And personally, I just like to be able to tweet out the six-shooter celebration.
1: <laughs> if it,
0: it's my favorite. Final thoughts on Bowling Green before we move on to Troy.
1: Bad loss no one's sugarcoating it here, but it's not the worst loss ever. And it's not going to mean that we can't move on and have a good season. We need to rally. We need to put a chip on our shoulder from this loss and go into the sun belt and just dominate.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
1: And I have to say one more thing. I went to look up how many fumbles that Rashin Ali had last year and Mandela effect looks like zero. <laughs> I can't, I can't find any, but I could have sworn that he had a, a fumble uh, in the ECU game, or one of those games that you know was harmful to us. So unless it wasn't recorded, maybe he fumbled and we recovered it, and it wasn't uh, wasn't counted. So Ali, I apologize.
0: This will be the only mistake you ever make. Ol- on this-
1: only mistake I'll ever make <laughs> on this show. All
0: right, so let's shift gears here. We've got a game to preview: it's the Sun Belt opener for the herd. They're going down to Troy. Alabama, and this is an interesting little connection, okay? Uh, We're fresh off of the heels of this loss to Bowling Green, which was fresh off of the heels of a monumental win at Notre Dame. Let's tie Troy into all this. Let's go back to 2003 when we come off of a monumental win at Kansas State. Who's the next game on the schedule? Troy. The Troy Trojans. And what happens? They beat the herd. So this is not new territory for Marshall to have a letdown after a marquee win. Uh, so now we get to talk about Troy in a different capacity. Uh, First-ever Sunbelt Conference game for the Herd. The game will go down Saturday, September 24th, at Veterans Memorial Stadium, 7 p.m. Eastern game, once again on the NFL Network. Troy Stadium, well, I'm sorry, Veterans Memorial Stadium, holds a capacity of 30,000 people, and you would probably like to think that it's going to be pretty full for the Trojans after... Their heartbreaking loss at the hands of App State on a Hail Mary, which was unbelievable, by the way. If you haven't seen that by now, get out from under the rock you were living in and go find that video. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, This is the sixth all-time meeting between Troy and the Herd. Five games between 1993 and 2004. The sixth game was kind of way back when. Troy owns a current two-game win streak against the Herd, the one, of course, that I just talked about in 2003, and they beat us again in 2004. The Herd will be trying to win for the first time ever in Troy, Alabama, currently 0-1. Uh, Troy took App State absolutely to the brink last week, and I was watching the game on my phone while watching the herd play on NFL network because that game was just kind of, it was must see, right? I was like, okay, I want to see these are two decent Sunbelt teams. I want to see what Marshall's going to face in app. And then, of course, Troy's the next game on the schedule, so I want to see what they look like. And it was kind of back and forth. Uh, From what I saw, Troy poses several threats to what the herd can or cannot do effectively versus what we saw against Bowling Green. Uh, But I saw, you know, Troy had that game. They had it. They had it won. And as bad as I hate to say this, they deserved to lose based on the call that was made late in the game. Uh, Troy was holding a uh, four-point margin of, you know, four-point lead. Four-point lead. And they chose, instead of punting, to take a safety to cut the lead to two with 20 seconds left on the clock. So now, of course, you've got to give a free kick to App State. They've got a few ticks to make something happen, and, of course, they win on a Hail Mary. But let's go the other way with that. What if they just get one big gainer, and they're all of a sudden in field goal range, and they win on a field goal? So now you took your lead from four to two and gave your opposition an an opportunity to win. Now, they win on a dramatic Hail Mary, and that's, that's a whole different animal. But I said then, when they chose to take the safety that they deserve to lose this game. You punt and make App score a touchdown. Now, they still could have hit a Hail Mary and won the game and yada, 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 but still, you can't put them in a position to win with a field goal and a free kick to come. So uh, that's got to be a heartbreaker. I mean, you know Troy's knows they let one go, and they're going to have to get one against the herd here to bounce back and uh, sunbelt play. Uh, The Herds hasn't had a win down at Troy yet. So there's a lot of things that are kind of going on, trickling around up in the head there. And, you know, we'll see how this all plays out. Uh, At this point, I'm about done with the ESPN power (laughs) index (laughs) because it's basically just a percentage that's meaningless. Uh, The last two weeks, it's meant nothing for the Herd. (laughs) They were a massive underdog, according to the power index against Notre Dame and won. And they were a huge uh, favorite against Bowling Green and lost. But for argument's sake, the ESPN Power Index kind of sort of really likes the herd in an away game. 59.2% chance to win for Marshall. Currently, herd is minus three with an over under of 52. So being a home dog can't set well with the Troy Trojans. I know it wouldn't set well with me. Russ, before we get into stats, players
1: to look out for, what does this game feel like to you? Well, it feels a lot like what we were going to say against Bowling Green, except for more talented, that we got to watch out for the quarterback. They don't run very well, um, but it just seems like they have a lot more playmakers uh, than Bowling Green did. Their defense is certainly an upgrade over Bowling Green. So this is one of those games where it should be close, maybe a high scoring affair, mid thirties for both teams. We can get into the score prediction later, but we're going to have our hands full with Troy, especially at home, look for them to throw a lot and we should be able to contain their running backs.
0: That's kind of what I see too. I mean, we can just toss out because every game basically is going to come down to who controls the line of scrimmage. So let's, Let's not even talk about that because that's football 101. The game within the game to me is how Marshall Secondary is going to respond to the effort that was put out there uh, against Bowling Green. Will they be able to get some of those impact interceptions? Will they be able to come with more blitzes, create more pressure? All that kind of stuff on this Troy team. So the game within the game is the Troy passing offense against the herd passing defense. That's the game. Troy can't run the ball for the life of them early in this season. Uh, averaging less than 60 yards a game on the ground, okay? This is a pass-heavy team, and if Marshall has any hope of winning this game, they're going to have to contain the pass game. It's That's it. You know, I don't expect – nothing about this team tells me, well, they're averaging 55, 60 yards a game on the ground leading into the this game with the herd. Oh, well, now they're going to break out for 400-yard dressing. It, it yeah. doesn't – nothing about that seems like it's – fathomable right so you would like to think okay you're gonna have to get some licks on the quarterback you're gonna have to move him off the spot you're gonna have to rush him hurry him whatever force him into bad decisions and you're gonna have to play solid coverage that to me is just where you win and lose the game so that said let's talk about some players to look out for on this troy offense of course it starts at the quarterback position with number 18 quarterback gunner watson six foot three two hundred and five pound jr 80 of 118 on the season. Very efficient passer. 980 total yards on the year. Five touchdowns and four interceptions, and he has been sacked nine times. Number eight, number 28 running back, Kimani Vidal, or Vidal, Whatever. Uh, five foot eight, two hundred and fifteen pound sophomore. Thirty three carries on the year for hundred and fifteen yards. Leads the team in rushing. We've seen uh, Kalen LeBorn rush for that single game totals two out of three games, and then the third game, the opener, North Norfolk State. He was you know one or two carries away from eclipsing that total too.
1: He he was at one o two, and they only played the first half.
0: There you go, sparingly. Uh, so vidal does also add a touchdown on the ground but he's only averaging 3.5 yards per carry Uh, number five quarterback i'm sorry wide receiver jabri barber five foot ten 173 pound sophomore uh, tied for the team lead in receptions with 16 leader on the team in yardage with 207 and one touchdown good for 12.9 yards per catch Number zero, Agent Zero, wide receiver Rajay Johnson, the six foot four, two hundred and twenty pound senior, nine catches for one hundred and sixty nine yards, two touchdowns through the air with a big chunk, eighteen point eight yards per catch, and then number eleven, wide receiver Deshaun Stoudemire, the six foot one, one hundred and eighty seven pound junior, uh, tied again with for the team lead with sixteen catches, but just for one hundred and fifty seven yards and one touchdown, nine point eight yards per carry. These guys were constantly moving the ball against Appalachian State. Um, if you would have asked me, and I believe I was talking to you about it, I thought somebody just had a huge production day because it seemed like that in real time. There were big plays that were made at 25 yards here, 15 yards there. Every time I was able to watch that game consistently on a Troy drive, it seemed like there were big passing plays that occurred. And they were able to move the ball in App State. So maybe App isn't as effective through the air on defense as we thought, Maybe Troy's just a little bit better than we thought. I don't know what it is. All I do know is Troy was able to move that ball consistently through the air against App State. All in all, this Troy offense scores 25.3 points per game and gains 405 yards of total offense, 350 of which come through the air. So you can do the math on that as far as what you think the herd is uh, is a strength on the herd defense versus a weakness and how it might match up with this Troy offense. Defensively for the Trojans, a lot of secondary guys lead their team in tackles. There is a, there's a linebacker that's mixed in there and I've spotlighted the defensive lineman just because we need to do that. Uh, but if you look down their team leaders in tackles, I think four out of the five or four five out of the six or seven are all safeties and defensive backs. So That doesn't usually speak very well to a team that runs the ball good like Marshall does. Uh, So this that could be the the linchpin for the herd. You know the 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 herd rushing offense versus the Troy rush defense. Anyway, it starts with number four safety Craig Slocum Jr. The six foot two hundred and one pound senior, twenty seven total tackles, eleven of those solo, a pass defended, and a fumble recovery for the Trojans. Number two on the team in tackles, the number eight, also a safety. TJ Harris, the six foot-one, one hundred and ninety-nine pound senior, seventeen total tackles, six or low solo, and a pass defended. Uh from the linebacking core, the guy you got to put in a circle around, number two linebacker, Carlton Marshall. No, not M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. It's M-A-R-T-I-A-L, but still cool. Uh five foot nine, two hundred and ten pound senior, fifteen total tackles, six solo half a tackle for loss, half a sack, and a pass defended. And then we're going to spotlight one defensive lineman, and that's number 98 defensive end T.J. Jackson, six foot one, 270 270-pound, just a sophomore, 12 total tackles, five solo, one-and-a-half sacks, and a forced fumble on the season. All in all, impact plays across this Troy defense. They've got five sacks on the year, three interceptions, two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries through three games. This Troy defense allows... Uh, 25.7 points per game. The hurt is averaging 37.3. The outlier there is against Norfolk state. So in the last two games, the hurts closer to 30 points per game. um, And they allow 415 yards per game of total offense to their opponents. The hurt is over 500 at 507 yards with 163 of those coming on the ground. Uh, I'm sorry. Troy allows 163 on the ground. The hurt is around 263 rush yards gained per game. Russ, um, this looks like it could be a tale of strength versus weakness and strength versus weakness. Mm-hmm. So it's it may boil down to who controls the ball longer as to how this one ultimately plays out. That being said, what are your keys to victory for the Herd against the Troy Trojans?
1: Pressure, pressure, pressure against the quarterback. Now, I want to talk about – Watson is their starter putting up 928 so far on uh, three games. You're looking at 309 per game, uh, through the air. Don't forget. And he's played sparingly, but they have former WVU quarterback who also transferred to WKU and is now a late addition to this team. Quarterback Jarrett Doge is there as well. Um, So if something happens to their starter, you may think, well, they're a one-man team. They do have a decent quarterback as a backup. Uh, They may throw him in there just as a change of pace against us that perhaps they've been kind of sandbagging a little bit until he gets a few more games under his belt and practices. So uh, we are going to have to get a lot of – pressure on him throw some different looks at him blitz packages that sort of thing he has thrown four interceptions on the year with five touchdowns so perhaps we can get him to make a bad throw or a a bad read to where we can get a good jump on the ball and get one of those patented outside uh micah abraham or stephen gilmore interceptions that we've seen early in the year uh Running the ball, I think we just have to keep doing what we're doing, both on defensively stopping the run and offensively running all over everybody. I think that needs to be our game plan. Put uh, uh, Mr. Columbia into that game manager quarterback role that he did the first two uh, games and just no mistakes. Dominate them on the run that they seem susceptible to. To me, it's exactly what you said, strength versus weakness versus strength versus weakness. So we need to really, really win that aerial battle on the defensive side of the ball to contain their quarterback and their wide receivers and force some turnovers and let our running backs do what they do, especially Caitlin Labor.
0: Let me qualify my statement by saying strength versus weakness. I don't think that Marshall's past defense is a weakness, but uh, we are going to have to see a bounce back effort, right? They were exposed to a certain degree last week, whether that was through acrobatic catches that usually don't get made or just plays that our guys didn't make, but you can't look at me and say, well, you know, we held our own. No, we didn't. We didn't get any of those turnovers that we've been accustomed to getting. We didn't make enough plays defensively to keep them out of the end zone. So yeah, we're going to need a bounce back effort. It's very much still a strength. There's still, you know, two of the finest corners in in Abraham and Gilmore. Andre Sam is doing a phenomenal job back there on the back end, but as a as a cohesive unit in the secondary, they're going to have to step it up a notch this week.
1: Well, and it's not just that you can't give up another 300 yards and four touchdowns with no interceptions. You know, so that is a weakness that a quarterback that can get in a rhythm against us can really really expose us you know not not that we're bad Uh, i don't think we're bad at all and uh, it's just it was a weakness of ours last week it was it was it's it's fair to say yeah we we're not a, a weakness there game in game out but if we don't stop a 300 yard passer who's throwing it all over the field you know, they're going to be right in this game. So we need to not allow that, and we need to have turnovers and prevent that, take them out of their game, and allow our major strength, the rushing defense, to control this game. Make them have to run against us, which it looks like they can't.
0: My number one key to victory for the herd is to control the ball and control the clock. And you do that through effective running, and um, effective passing. We've seen that Marshall's successes through the air have by and large come from short passes that are turned into long gains through yards after the catch. It just seems like right now that's what they're content to do. And it works a lot of the times. Even if it's seven yards, that's that's a big plus. You know, There's not a fan in the world that wouldn't take seven yards to play. Uh, and if you are that fan that wouldn't take seven yards to play, heck, man, I don't know what to say to you. Um, but that's the number one key to victory, you know, feed the backs, keep them fresh, focus on the run game and pass when you have to, right. You don't need to take unnecessary risks. We haven't really seen our guys do that this year anyway. Uh, most of the passes that we take are safe passes. They're short, um, high percentage throws, good reads, effective plays. Let's, let's, let's just make sure we're, you know, doing the little things that won't come back to bite you in a big way. Cover the ball you know, prepare for impact, all that kind of stuff, you know. So those fluky plays that we saw against Bowling Green don't rear their ugly head once again. But Kalon LeBourne, Ethan Payne, uh, you know, all the guys that may or may not get a carry in this game, those two guys primarily are going to have the the onus of controlling that clock. You know, as long as they can move the change, as long as they can hold on to the ball Marshall should be okay. They can shorten this game by getting into the end zone and keeping that clock churning. And that I think the best thing we can do to get a bounce back effort from this herd defense is to keep them off the field as much as we can. Keep Troy over there watching us possess the ball. Um, number two, I kind of just alluded to it. You take what's there, right? If you got a five yard play, you take a five-yard play. If you're rushing for, you know, four and a half yards, take the four and a half yards. It all moves the chains. As long as you're not constantly putting yourself behind the eight ball with penalties, which Marshall has not done this year, they've been really, really good at not committing penalties. Uh, then, you know, a disciplined football team gaining mid range yardage is going to move the ball down the field. So just take what's there. Number three for me, Russ, uh, is a case of adapting and overcoming. You know, if the game plan changes what Troy's doing and and just like the underneath crossing route was open for Bowling Green, got to be able to spot that and change that defensively somehow, force them into finding something else that is going to work for them. Uh, we didn't see that enough last week in order to come out of Bowling Green with a win. So adapt and overcome if our you know short passing game isn't working, but we're hitting them slants open down the middle or down those seam routes are wide open all day long. Then there's no need to run a a quick out. There's no need to run a screen, hit the seam all day long and let somebody run to the end zone. That's it. You know, that's it. Uh, and lastly, sweat the details. We may not have paid as as much attention to that last week as we should have. And it's the little things, you know, putting the ball away from contact. Um, two hands on the ball when you're about to absorb impact, you know, making the quick read and uh, instead of f- forcing the ball for an eight yard gain, tuck it and run for a seven yard gain. live to fight another day, sweat those little details. Uh, this, this herd team is still very much a dangerous team. I don't think that there is a Troy fan out there that thinks that Marshall's going to come into veterans Memorial stadium and get boat raced. If, if they do, then I feel like they're mistaken and probably in you know, for some disappointment. Uh, Can Troy win this game? Absolutely they can. They're good. They're a favorite in the West. They're a good team. They had App State on the heels, and if they play 20 more seconds of football, they likely ruin what was a monumental day in Boone, North Carolina with game day and all that sort of thing. They didn't finish. They didn't finish. That's exactly what the Herd's going to have to do. They're going to have to go down to Troy, Alabama, start, fight, punch, kick, chop wood, work, whatever you want to do but you got to finish. You got to finish. Who is your Thundercast player of the week?
1: I have one more. um, I know I gave a bunch as my keys to the game, but I have one more thing that I want to say about the keys to the game is uh, from a coaching standpoint, we have got to open it up. It's the Sunbelt. We're playing conference game. Uh, We have got to open up, let our playmakers shine. So, I beg of the offensive coordinator and the head <laughs> coach. If you're listening, I know you are. Uh, let's open it up against the guys and let her, let her guys eat, which is something that you said yeah. from the previous week. Yeah. All right. Uh, my player of the game is going to be Mr. Kalen Laburn. Uh, I think that uh, somebody going to come in with something to prove. They're going to feel like that they need to make up for those two, uh, two fumbles inside the five, and I think that we may see our first 200-yard rushing day from Mr. Labert. And I feel like that it's finally going to be, we've seen some 40-yard bursts here and there, that we have one of those 60, 70 yards, big chunks of plays, uh, I mean, big chunks of yards on one play that will allow him to break that 200 barrier.
0: It's a good pick. He's my pick as well uh because i think this game is going to rest on his shoulders a lot you know to to keep moving the chains to keep gaining the hard yards this might be a scenario to where you know we see some success early because their secondary by and large accounts for a lot of the tackles so if if we see some success early and they have to start creeping up those safeties and creeping up those corners a little bit closer to the line in order to account for his sheer game breaking ability that's when you might see the Talik Keatons of the world go over the top and really burn you on a big play. That's when you might see Caleb McMillan or Corey Gamage once again. Shadida Med might make a big play, uh, or you may see Devin Miller hit the seam because your safety's creeping up and now he's behind him. So he's Leborn is my player of the or my Thundercast player of the week as well. I don't I don't know that I can give him two hundred yards, but I also don't know that I can't give him two hundred yards. You know he's just due to finally break one huge and get to the end zone. We've seen him come right up close to it and not be able to get there, you know, for whatever reason. But this is the one. This is the one where he finally gets to go on the radar for a lot of our Sun Belt uh, conference mates' radar, right? Because I doubt too many people from Texas State or Louisiana Monroe or whatever are watching Marshall games. They might have saw the Notre Dame like, whoa, the Herd beat Notre Dame. All right, cool. But now these are games to where you're matching up against – like programs in the games that matter. So they're going to start paying attention to you a little bit more. Just like I hadn't watched a Troy game until Troy's playing app. Now I'm watching because I want to know what we may be facing. So a huge day from Laborn is going to make a lot of people perk up and go, okay, this dude's legit. He's not just a guy that had a good game against Notre Dame. Like, he's legit. And then when you start to think about, well, maybe in two weeks, three weeks, by the time we really get into the meat of this schedule, you got Rashina Ali back as well who Tread water, get wins while you can get them, and then if you are a hundred percent or really close to a hundred percent in the running back position, when Louisiana comes to town, App Coastal hurts going to be pretty dangerous. But for this that's, week, give me Leborn as well.
1: That's one of the things that I didn't mention earlier when we were talking about this season not being lost and so much more to come. We have not seen a snap from Brian Robinson that I can remember. You know, we have not seen. Tyke's legs, unless he was in this game and I just missed him, uh, you know that he was in for a single play. And famously, we have not seen Rashin Ali. And you're talking about three impact players that we had kind of predicted at various uh, depths. Obviously, Rashin Ali being the the biggest of those impact players. When we get fully healthy and back and everything, this could be an absolute scary team to play and I'll take it in the meat of the conference schedule versus early in the season, every single time. So get on board is all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. At the end of the season, you come up for air. And if Marshall happens to represent the East in the Sunbelt championship game happens, excuse me, to win the Sunbelt conference, nobody's going to give a rip about losing at Bowling Green. Nobody's going to care. It'll be ancient history. Uh, How about a score prediction this week, Russ?
1: Absolute dogfight. I'm thinking something like 35, 33, uh, 38, 36. So uh let's say thirty-four thirty-one. I'll I'll come to that. Thirty-four
0: thirty-one, I'm assuming herd?
1: Herd, yeah. I can't I can't uh I can't go against my herd uh boys just yet. And I'm thinking that uh they're gonna have something to prove, but they're gonna have uh an absolute dogfight in front of them to try to prove it
0: yeah i like a dogfight type game as well um famously not not famously but uh, i was off of the cautiously optimistic train going into bowling green and i should curb my enthusiasm because the thing you forget about or the thing i forget about is that you know fluky plays happen you know fumbles are going to occur inside the five yard line you just don't account that there will be two major ones that happened in the same game. So I'm still very much high on this herd's out, uh, offensive output and their production capabilities. but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna curb my enthusiasm just a little bit on the points total this year or this week. I still like the herd to go down to Troy, Alabama and get a win a little bit not as close as you like it, but I pre- I'm predicting 31 to 24, the herd in a respectable showing against a tough opponent at home in Troy, Alabama, a place where they've not yet garnered a win. To open up their Sun Belt era officially. Uh, final thoughts on Troy before we close this segment out.
1: Just that uh, it's going to be huge. You know, if you want to go into your conference three and one, you got obviously win this game. I don't want to sound like Sonny Randall here with the uh, with the <laughs> obvious, but uh, you know, if you lose this game, it's two and two and you're down 0-1 conference uh, out of your first four games. So big win. Got to have it. It's on the road. It's against a very formidable opponent, one of the favorites for the West. It's our first-ever Sunbelt Conference game. We, as a a Sunbelt Conference member, we need to win this game. It's a big game. We need the fan base to see this as well. Uh, if you lose two in a row, there's going to be even more people trying to jump off the ship. Got to win this game.
0: Yeah, you do have to win this game. These are the games that you're going to have to win in order to be able to compete in the Sunbelt Conference. We're lucky this this year that you know m- uh, most of our, if not all of our, really, really, really challenging games outside of maybe be maybe James Madison are at home. But next season, all those same games are going to be on the road. So you're going to have to be able to go on the road in this conference and beat good teams. Marshall's just going to have an opportunity to do that from the outset. Uh, You you want to start out on the right foot in the Sunbelt Conference era, and to do that you're going to have to get through Troy. So let's see if they can get enough right, they can make enough plays, put enough points on the board so that next week when we're doing this show – we get to talk about how good it feels to be one and zero in the Sun Belt Conference. This is the most important game on the schedule. Why? Because it's the, the next, next game. game. Okay, I'm not looking forward to App. I'm not looking forward to Coastal or Louisiana. Any of those. I want Troy. I'm looking at Troy, and uh, I know that our players are doing the same thing. It's a one week sk- season every week. Okay, we want to go one and zero every week. Last week we weren't able to do that. This week we need to get off of the Schneid and get back to winning some games because these are now the ones that matter. We'll have one more tune-up. I mean, I hate to use that term, but we'll have one more game that doesn't matter in the Sunbelt Conference standings at Gardner-Webb on October 1st or at the Joan on October 1st with Gardner-Webb. But the season starts now, basically. You know, the season starts now. Once you start playing Sunbelt games, that's what matters. So uh, let's get behind a big – hopefully a big herd win this weekend. As the team travels down to Troy, takes on a really tough Troy Trojans opponent. Don't look past them. They're hungry, probably a little pissed, (laughs) and really, really want to get one at the hands of the herd. Russ, um, let's take this around the herd and get the heck out of here this week.
1: Yeah, and we're going to go through this. There's a massive amount here, so uh, it's been a long episode. We're going to go through this real quick. The only thing that I want to say is this is a segment that we do every week. And if your business or someone you know's business would like to sponsor this like we have in the other segment as a sponsor, get with us. Because as you see here, we have stuff week after week after week that we're going to be hitting on. And you could bring that to us. Let's start off with men's soccer over on the pitch. We talked about this. They had a draw with then number six Kentucky, one to one on Friday. That moved us up to number four, as we discussed already, in five things. And we host WVU at home Saturday at 7.15 p.m. It'll be during the football game, but I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of people that will be at this soccer game recording the football game, watching it when they get home.
0: Yep. And as I mentioned in the five things part of the show, that we will have tickets. We'll be giving away Two tickets to the hottest game on the soccer schedule, at least this far in the season. Uh, expect a huge turnout, if not a sellout crowd, at the Vet for this one. Uh, the Mountain State Derby is going to be a big attraction for years to come because both of these teams sport really competitive men's soccer programs. And just never mind the fact that it's you know Marshall and West Virginia. For whatever you feel yeah. about it, it's always going to be a draw. So be on the lookout for that contest tweet. All you got to do, all you got to do is be following us on Twitter. And retweet the tweet when we put the contest tweet out, and you'll have an opportunity to win those tickets. We'll draw and message you. If you can go, you'll get the tickets. That's it.
1: Women's soccer to stay on the pitch. They lost again 3-1 to Southern Miss on Saturday. That was their fifth in a row. Uh, They hope to get back on the winning track. They're playing at Arkansas State on Thursday at 4 p.m. And then they will be hosting App State on Sunday at 1 p.m. And, again, we will have two tickets for that.
0: Yep, we'll have tickets for that, too. Uh, same setup as
1: all contest,
0: contest tweets. But, look, the girls are really struggling. I mean, there's no way to to sugarcoat it. it they're not doing well right now. Uh, we've got some individual players that are having pretty good seasons in their own right, but as a team, they just can't seem to do enough to get wins uh in these games and uh you know i would like to think that having a little bit of a home crowd behind you a little bit of juice to help you know with the mood the vibe of the game would go a long way in helping so you know they they draw
1: very well there
0: yeah so these tickets that we have are great seats all you got to do is you know try to win them we'll we'll hand them out but uh you know, the, sooner or later, something's got to give for these girls. They're working their tails off. They're just coming up short right now. But I figured this would be a good time to talk about a few of the team leaders of where we stand uh, as far as goals and assists. If you're not as uh, following along with the women's soccer program as closely as, uh, as we are, uh, leading goal scorer for the women's soccer team is Morgan White, a senior from Cincinnati, team lead with six goals and assists, the team lead is Abby Hugh, the junior from right there in Huntington, West Virginia. She comes from St. Joe, uh, leading the team with four assists. So uh, a couple of good opportunities this week for the for the women's soccer team to uh, get some get some wins in the left-hand column there and, and make some noise in the Sunbelt Conference standing. So let's have good showings at um, Arkansas State and then back home at the vet for um, App State. Just be on the lookout for tickets to those games.
1: We talked earlier about baseball with the stadium news. Uh, we picked up a commitment from Scott High School pitcher Griffin Miller. And uh, we also had a finalized fall ball schedule. Both games are close. We've got October the 9th playing at Kentucky. I know we have a lot of fans in the Lexington area that may want to stop by and see that. And then right here at the Kennedy Center up Route 2 on October the 18th, they'll be hosting the Toronto Mets. Um I'm assuming that is some kind of wooden bat league maybe <laughs> I don't know. know
0: I didn't know where you were going with that I was waiting on like a punchline I, I I really no, thought I, you were going to go
1: I'm assuming that's some kind of Canadian team <laughs> <laughs> You know they might be I'll have to I'll have to get our research team to look into that but uh no I've never heard of the Toronto Mets and I know that it's not to my knowledge, uh, the Toronto, uh, you know, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be an NCAA team playing, you know, across the board. Yeah, you would
0: think it's some kind of exhibition game.
1: Yeah. So, uh, anyway, that will be uh, good if you're looking for some fall ball baseball, watch one of those games. A <laughs> uh, quick note on uh,
0: recent commitment uh, Griffin Miller from Scott High School, six foot two, 183 pound pitcher slash infielder from, you mentioned Scott High School, hometown of Madison. West Virginia hometown boy come to play for the herd. You love to see it
1: over in volleyball. They uh, swept a couple of teams on Friday. They beat Furman three sets to none. And the very next day at USC upstate, they also swept them three sets to none. They have old dominion on Thursday and Friday, both at 6 30 PM this, this week. And then they'll be back on Huntington on Tuesday, hosting Eastern Kentucky at 6 p.m. So three different uh, games that are matches that they'll have before we uh, drop another episode.
0: Yeah, I know that the older Herd fans are are the ones that are slightly older than us. Anytime that they notch any type of win in any sport against Furman, somewhere in their souls they smile a little bit. So uh, for those of you who are listening to this show – I'm really glad we could put a Furman victory in into your ears for the week. Uh, volleyball's doing pretty well, right? We yeah. talked about them, uh, you know, trying to get it right a little bit. They were uh, hovering around 500 when we were talking about them last week, and now they come out and, and put together two sweeps, uh, It's heading into Sunbelt play this weekend or late this week, Thursday, and then you know, back home for a match against Eastern Kentucky. And again, these matches are free. So if you're mm-hmm. muddling around town, you nothing to do on a Tuesday, hang out, go to the cam and watch the volleyball team at 6 p.m. I'm pretty sure you'll have a good time. It's pretty entertaining stuff, some high energy stuff. And most, just like with most of our women's sports, whatever, what I don't know what that is. They always seem to just have a fun, organically fun vibe surrounding that team. So get out there and be a part of that energy. Be a part of that energy. Go support them.
1: All right. Softball also set their fall ball schedule and they've got October the 8th, they're playing Davison Elkins and also West Virginia Tech. The very next day, October the 9th, they're playing Potomac State and then playing West Virginia Wesleyan. The next weekend on 10-15, they're playing West Liberty for a double header. And then the next day, October the 16th, they've got Glenville State and Pike Bowl. So lot of softball to be played around uh, those two weekends. And we hope to have some exciting news after we talk to Megan and Corey. And yes, that's how we address them because they asked I mean, us we're to. basically <laughs> best friends, you know uh, I mean. yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no, that's a lot of ball. That's like eight games or seven games in eight days. Um, fall season's going to be here and gone in a flash. But there's going to be a lot of innings, a lot of at-bats and pitches thrown, tossed, and a lot of defense getting played there at Dot hicks Field. It's going to be, you know, quick but uh, very heavy as far as the games go. It's about that time, right? It's about that time. Um, there's been a big-time make a, remaking of this team some weapons have returned we've talked about it many many times leading up to this point all the transfers that came in the way the roster is built now versus what it looked like last year and um, you know some expectations that we'll get into as the season draws ever closer but um, the ingredients might be different but we're expecting the recipe for success to be very much the same Um, I think again this is going to be a pretty popular ticket that You don't require a ticket. Let's just say a pretty popular seat. Um, Dot Hicks field will probably be pretty well attended for most of these home games and rightfully so. So uh, this is a good opportunity for maybe you to get out and see what they look like in the beginning stages when they're still trying to figure it out. And you'd be one of those fans that goes, you know what? They look a lot different now than what they will look like, you know, in the Sunbelt season. Mm -hmm. Um, And so be a fan early and be a fan often and get over there. And again, just like the volleyball team, be a part of that energy that surrounds this team. It's infectious, man. I mean, we've had a number of people go, you know what? We pay attention to softball now because you guys talk about it. Mm -hmm. But let's take that a step further. Go to the game and be your own fan. Don't just follow them and pay attention. Like get engaged. Like I think you'll be like, dang, what have I been doing? Like I should it's, have been a part of this a long time ago.
1: It's fun and just like you mentioned about volleyball, it's free. Show yeah. up, show up and get entertained.
0: I would These- like before you move on. I'm sorry, I didn't know if you were going to go to another um, another sport real quick, but this is an excellent opportunity for the newly rebranded Stampede. This is an excellent opportunity for them to be a huge voice for a team like that. Like every softball games ought to be like high on the list. For the Stampede to have a a big showing there, game in and game out, a rowdy, quote unquote, student section, you know, because that's not only are they entertaining, but that's a great opportunity right there for you guys to just go have some wicked fun um, at the dot.
1: We're going to move over to tennis and there is a, a pretty big event coming up and it starts on Thursday. Uh, Marshall will be coast co-hosting thunder in the mountains with WVU. And this will take place at the Kanala rec center in Charleston. It's going to be Thursday through Sunday. Now Thursday is going to be more of a practice amongst all teams. They're also going to have a reception. Uh, this is sponsored by um, Webb web law center and they're having a, uh, reception and dinner Uh, it's $50 to attend that if you want to Cincinnati and uh, VCU are also going to be in the tournament and then Friday, Saturday and Sunday, they're all going to be playing each other. So if you're up in the Charleston area, want to watch some tennis support uh, the Marshall girls and also go to the reception and dinner, you should do that.
0: Yeah. Just a pretty cool event, right? Uh, You get out of Huntington and you're going to co-sponsor an event with uh, WVU. You know, kind of bringing uh, the state together in in a different sport. You know, something something that uh, caters to a different uh, demographic of fan. So it's nice to have these type of events, you know, in in Charleston, so that uh, you can draw from a different population pool and kind of draw in different fans and show them what is going right with herd tennis. I mean, we talked about them being what eighth in mid major recruiting way back a few episodes ago. So you know the coach mercer's doing things making waves uh trying to uh, uh, like get a get an upward trajectory for this program and we saw that through recruiting so now you go down and have a good showing at thunder in the mountains in front of a you know um big fan base type I, i don't know what to i don't want to call it a fan base it's just like a it's like a an event, right? I mean, it's yeah. an event. It's it's dinner and a reception, and it's not just a tennis match. It's so you get to showcase your program in front of a different a, a different audience, not just a tennis match audience. So, yeah. um go to it if you can. It'll it'll probably be pretty entertaining.
1: In cross country, the women finished fifth out of ten, and the men eighth out of eleven. And this was at the Virginia Tech Invitational. Uh individually, Abby Herring Herring had a top ten finish. She finished ninth, and she was the highest placing herd athlete amongst uh men and women uh in the entire meet.
0: Uh Rince and Repeat, the senior from Parkersburg, continues to just put great finishes on the board, week in and week out. Abby Herring is um uh, pretty, pretty amazing. (laughs) I mean, it seems like, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from any of our other runners, any of our other athletes, but it's like every week it's Abby Herring, this Abby Herring, a new record here, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So congratulations to the Parkersburg senior Abby Herring for continuing to do, I'm going to keep saying it, Abby Herring type stuff.
1: (laughs) Uh, Finishing up on the links. We'll talk about men's golf first. They placed tied for 14th. Out of 17 teams, this was at the River Run Collegiate this uh, past couple of days, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Ryan Bilby and Tyler Jones both finished tied for 23rd at three over par. They were 11 shots off the lead. Uh, the overall individual winner was eight under. And women's golf, they were competing in the Grand Overfall Classic Monday and Tuesday of next week in Greensboro, North Carolina.
0: Well, all I can say about that is go herd. Let's see what you can do out there. Um, Russ, very informative. Lots of stuff going on around the herd. You can tell that all the teams are in basically full swing now. Basketball season is growing ever closer, so we're going to have even more to talk about uh, in short order. But, look, if you've got nothing else this week, um, give us some final words, and if not, let's take it out of here.
1: Final words are we continue to show a lot of love for our sponsors. Uh, We do have room for more, as we were talking about with the uh, segment around the herd just now, but we picked up a sponsor for the uh, next home game, and we continue to have people showing a lot of desire to do that. So if you want to sponsor one of the tailgates, just reach out to us. It's uh, very economical for what you get in return. Yep.
0: Yep. Uh, we're we're trying. We're trying to provide value to sponsors uh, and folks that want to reach the fan base in a different way. And it's just a great opportunity to do that. Uh, of course, thanks to three o four carrectcom and ignite link for continuing to sponsor the Thundercast and help us bring you uh, this show every week. And to that end, like Russ mentioned before, if you are uh, considering, you know, dabbling into the, podcasting sponsoring game shoot us a dm because uh, you know you can test fire this thing on a relatively small level and see if it's for you see if it provides any benefit for you by sponsoring a you know a segment even if you just want to do it for a little while and see if it's worth your while we can try to make something happen for you just reach out and we'll see what we can do um all i can say this week is bowling greens over on to troy russ take us out of here
1: yeah, whether you see us over at the Joan, whether you see us uh, in my own yard throwing a watch party that turned into a big disappointment at the end of the game because we ended up losing, or whether you see us going on to the next one and just dominating Troy, no matter where you see us, no matter what the outcome of the game is, we're <laughs> going to be saying go hurt,
0: Go hurt." It's the Thundercast. We'll see you next week. Later.